This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, we watched Gone Girl. I don't even have anything witty or quippy to say. I just feel like we ought to get right down to brass tacks. Welcome to another episode of Honey, You Should Watch This, a podcast where a husband and a wife have divergent taste in movies, so we make each other, I mean, introduce each other to other films, uh, and then we come on here and talk about it. So, uh, I don't know that we have divergent tastes in movies. Sometimes we do. I think our outlier movies don't necessarily lie within each other's... The inliers? The outliers. Yeah, the outliers don't lie within the inliers. Oh, that's a good... Yeah. yeah. See, see how much see? smarter you are than I'm I am? so smart. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> I didn't even know in liars was a word. <laughs> so uh, I guess I don't need to, to welcome my husband, Greg, because he's already. No, introduced. welcome me. Welcome, Greg. Yay, me. Welcome, Greg, my husband, Greg. How you doing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing good. Okay. Well, that's I'm good. I'm doing good. That's good. Um, so I think before we start on our very meaty movie that I picked for us to watch. We didn't watch Magic Mike. <laughs> no, well, we did have a lot of. Uh, yeah, there's a little more sausage in that movie than I care to watch. <laughs> a little bit of a Johnsonville brat situation. No, 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 a lot of Johnsonville brat <laughs> situation. Well, we before we start on Gone Girl, I wanted to follow up a little bit on our last episode, which was the Super with Joe Pesci. Um, I tracked down the article that I had originally quoted about them trying to really work on the script and knowing that there were problems on the script and found the full article um, interviewing Rod Daniel in which they talked about him, you know, taking B-movies only when he could. Um, He said, you know, he would hold out as long as he could for better scripts until his family would run out of money. And then he had a responsibility to his children um, to, to take these scripts. So the super, in his mind, was the perfect example. He says, I took the movie knowing we had script problems. But if you have script problems, you're not going to solve it during production. The problem was Joe Pesci wasn't a fish out of water. He was a fish in water. That was the problem. Larry Gordon, the producer, said to me originally, look, get Chevy Chase, put him in the ghetto, that was the concept, but it was too pat. Take a really white guy and run him through the standard jokes about gangs and rap music, and since it's Chevy, comedy's there, right? So I remember sitting in my suite at the Regency in New York with cards from the <laughs> beeping out the expletive script all over the place, and Nora Ephron, who wrote it, a lot of it, curled up in the fetal position under the dining room table because we could not solve the problem in the center of this movie. So okay. even he admits, bad movie, took it for the money. I don't feel bad anymore. That's what he said, or you don't? You I said, don't feel bad anymore. Oh, you shouldn't have <laughs> felt bad anyway. It was just a movie. It wasn't like you made it. I know. I know. You know what, though? 
I, I I say it. You know, we said it last week. Somebody obviously just did it for the paycheck. Right. But again, all we hear about is artistic integrity, artistic integrity, artistic integrity, and then you hear, ah, I just you know, I was, my kids were hungry. Well, maybe maybe that's a sign that you need to do something different. Maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Anyway. And during the last episode, as I was listening to it, I was driving myself crazy because I kept calling the Joe Pesci character, whose name was Kritsky, right? It's Louis Kritsky. Yeah. We kept calling him Kripke. I but kept it's calling Kripke. Kripke, and I couldn't, I'm like, why am I saying the name Kripke? The only thing I can think of as Kripke is the, the character in the Big Bang Theory. You know, Sheldon's nemesis. That's it. (laughs) Kripke, yeah. So the whole time I was listening to the playback, I'm like, oh, I can, okay. (laughs) So sorry, everybody. No, that's that's definitely it. For real. All right. Okay. Okay, so let's get into this one because I think that we're going to be here a little while. Yeah. And just a forewarning, I have a cat paw on my foot and I think that's going to get violent in a second. You are too nice to him. All right. He stopped. Good. Okay. All right. So. Why'd you uh, make me watch this movie? Why did I make you watch Gone Girl? Yeah. I think this movie is an extremely layered movie. Being a David Fincher movie, he he made it intentionally complex. Mm -hmm. He had a vision for this that I think upon first watching, you don't quite get the full effect of what he's trying to get at. Um, and I also think that you've got another movie coming out that's probably just as divisive as this movie, which... The Space Jam with LeBron James? No. Oh. Close. <laughs> <laughs> um, a Promising Young Woman, I think, is the name of the title. Have you seen? No. Okay. So it's a Carrie Mulligan movie um, in which she plays a former medical student who leaves campus because something happens to her, and we're assuming it's rape, and she spends the rest of her life basically trying to stop would-be predators by luring them in with the I'm too drunk to take care of myself act. So I figured it was timely. Okay. Good enough. All right. So before I go into the summary, what was your expectation going into this? I knew stuff about this movie going into it. A handful of things. I wasn't excited about watching it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, David Fincher has made some great movies, mm-hmm. but I don't know that David Fincher is my speed. I mean, a lot of people talk about how they how great Fight Club is. I hated it. I did not like Fight Club at all. I just I was never once drawn into that movie. Then when I got to the end, I'm like, who who did this? Uh, David Fincher or, or Shyamalan? Lama Lama Ding Dong. I I it was it, you <laughs> he know likes what? his twists. Yes. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, there was uh, he's got a I mean obviously seven. But Seven was a different type of movie than this a little bit. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, who who hasn't watched Seven and went, oh, my God. I have not seen a lot of his other movies. I haven't seen Dragon Tattoo. I haven't seen Benjamin Button. Did uh, you see Panic Room? I did not see Panic Room. There was another one that was on his list, too, that um, that I that I hadn't seen. That There's was, an that alien was a movie, movie, isn't there? I can't remember. 
Alien 3. Was it eight? Did he do Alien 3? Because if he did Alien 3, we're going to have to stop this podcast right now <laughs> because that man ruined my damn childhood with that movie. Uh, maybe. He, he might have. Uh, um, but, I mean, I, I kind of knew... I didn't know the, the, the hardcore details of the plot, but I knew certain things that happened, so I wasn't really surprised by the movie, mm-hmm. except just the movie itself surprised me. You know what I mean? There were no the plots and twists and turns. I kind of knew... I mean, it's it's six years old. You, there's kind of hard right. to go into a movie that was this big mm-hmm. because this was a big movie. It was huge. This yeah. that was this big that you don't know the spoilers because people are going to talk about it. So okay, all right. So let me jump into the summary, and I'm going to do you two. Didn't, you didn't ask me if I liked it. I'm going to ask you how you felt about it after I do the summary. Okay, you should do the okay. summary and then ask me how I feel about it. Okay, I'll do that then. That'll be fun. <laughs> All right. So first I have the unspoilery summary. So I'm assuming that most people who are listening to this, you've seen it. But if you haven't, once I get past the unspoilery summary, go watch it. Okay. So in Carthage, Missouri, former New York-based writer Nick Dunn and his glamorous wife Amy present a portrait of blissful marriage to the public. However, when Amy goes missing on the couple's fifth wedding anniversary, Nick becomes the prime suspect in her disappearance. The resulting police pressure and the media frenzy caused the Dunn's image of a happy union to crumble, leading to tantalizing questions about who Nick and Amy truly are. Okay. Now we're going to boil it down. A very unhappily married Nick Dunn comes home on his fifth wedding anniversary to find that his wife is missing. Her disappearance receives press coverage as Amy was the inspiration for her parents' popular Amy, Amazing Amy children's books. Detective Rhonda Boney finds poorly concealed evidence of a struggle in the house. Suspicion mounts around Nick, whose apathy is interpreted by the media as characteristic of a sociopath and even sows doubt in his twin sister, Margot. Through diary entries and flashbacks, we see how Nick and Amy met. And how Amy later revealed Nick that their marriage was crumbling. The last nail in the coffin is when they lose their jobs due to the recession. And they move from New York City to the hometown, uh, Nick's hometown of North Carthage, Missouri. And Nick becomes lazy and distant and begins cheating on Amy. Forensic analysis of the house uncovers clean blood stains indicating a probable murder. Boney unearths evidence of financial troubles, domestic disputes, and Amy's recent willingness to purchase a gun. Medical reports indicate that Amy was pregnant, which Nick denies knowledge of. And Amy and Nick had played a treasure hunt game every anniversary, and this year's clues include a lot of items purchased with Nick's credit card, as well as a diary highlighting Amy's growing isolation and ominously alluding to the fact that Nick will kill her. In the twist, Amy is revealed to be alive and well, having changed her appearance and hiding in the Ozarks. Upon discovering Nick's affair, she concocted the whole plan to get revenge on him by framing him for murder and making the motive seem to be money. She fabricated a long-standing diary that was accurate in its early entries but later evolved to false accounts of spousal violence and the increasing fear of Nick. She prevented a f- befriended a pregnant neighbor stole her urine to fake the pregnancy, planted in her stories about Nick's temper, and when she took off, 
everything went into motion. However, when she is on the run, she runs into uh, two people where she is staying, uh, and they later suspect and find out that she is holding money, so they rob her. So now she has to turn to her ex-boyfriend that used to stalk her, Desi Collins, who is rich um, and, can ho and can take care of her while she plans her next move. Nick hires Tanner Bolt, a hotshot New York attorney, um, and they work together to improve Nick's image in the media because it, com it comes out in the media that he has had an affair. So now he needs to protect himself. By going on TV, he lures Amy back into town, uh, not before she has to dispatch of Desi. Dispatch, nice word. Thank you. So she sets it up to make it look like Desi was the one who captured her and very violent, very, very intense scene there. When she gets back into town, uh, she sets it up, um, gives her alibi, implicates Desi, and back at the homestead, uh, Nick is hoping that he is going to turn the tables on her and expose her for the psychopath that she is. But then she announces that she is pregnant because she stole sperm from a fertility clinic that Nick went to and uh, insists that they stay married. Otherwise, he's going to look bad. Yeah. And that's... Uh, the movie ends when they're being interviewed by the media, and the happy couple announces that they are expecting. So the movie stars Ben Affleck as Nick, Rosamund Pike as Amy, Neil Patrick Harris as Desi, Tyler Perry as Tanner Bolt, the attorney, Carrie Coon as Margot or Go, Nick's twin sister, and it also features Kim Dickens, Patrick Fugit, Missy Pyle, Emily Rokotowski, and Casey Wilson. As we stated before, it's directed by David Fincher, and the screenplay is by the Gone Girl novel author, Gillian Flynn. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so, Greg, what did you think of Gone Girl? Ask that differently. What did you think of Gone Girl? No. What did you think of Gone Girl? No, nobody, nobody ever wants you to ask me that question like that again. <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to anticipate your <laughs> Did I like it? I can't. Ask me if I liked it. <laughs> Go ahead. Set me up. Did you like it? Yes. And no. Yes and no. Yeah. Okay. And you will find out Explain what that Explain yourself. It's, this is a really, it's a good movie. It's, it's well shot. It's well directed. Uh, it's well acted. Mm -hmm. uh, the first time that we watched this, I did not quite expect the ending that it was because I didn't know the ending. I just knew parts of the movie. And I got to the end, and what did I say? I said, fuck that movie. Remember? Yeah, said, you, don't fuck that movie. you don't like it when the bad guy gets away there's with a it. Lot, there's, well, there's lots of things about this movie that I don't like. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. But I said, you know what? <laughs> that was a good movie. Mm -hmm. You know, I said the same thing when we watched Black Christmas. I was yeah. like, fuck that movie at the end because <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know who did what. Okay. So at the end of this movie, I was like that. But then I started thinking about it. And there are too many things, 
to me in the last half of this movie, the last half hour of this movie, that completely ruin everything that they did in the movie. And I'm sure that we will get into them eventually. Okay. All right. Well, no, go ahead. Um, let us. Well, it's the the the, the script, the story. Mm-hmm. The story to me completely falls apart in the in the last thirty minutes of the movie. Okay. One hundred percent, just like we have to, like he wanted it to be a dark movie. He wanted it to end dark. He wanted to both of them to be miserable, which is fine with me actually because they were both miserable people. Right. But the the story, the the, the way it went down, does not hold water. It would never, ever, ever happen that way. Ever. There's no fucking way that she would get away with what she did. And I would agree with you there because I have listened to in trying to do some of the research and and to get expert opinion through other sources about how she would be viewed uh, by psychologists and FBI agents. I did come across a video um, that was actually Vanity Fair video and it was a FBI agent talking about how freaking scary that character is. And one of the things she said is there is a lot of things that she does in that third act that would cause a well-trained FBI agent to pause. Uh, First of that being that after she does kill Desi, a victim is not going to drive all night to go someplace else, they would pick up the phone. Yeah. So that's the first red flag that she would see. Go go to the local police station, go to the closest person that she thought, thought she could help her. Yeah, of course, dozens of things, yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing would be uh, that she's now spent, you would assume, probably close to 12 to 18 hours in Desi's blood, in her quote-unquote attacker's blood, through the whole scene when she's in the hospital when she's being questioned by the fbi and then back home a real victim she said would be at some point screaming to get the blood off of her right Uh, and she's far too calm and she's far too cool and far too collected now i have heard both fbi and cia agents talking about spotting liars and just because we are trained or we have been told time and time again that certain behaviors potentially mean that somebody's lying, just because one person does one or two of those things during a line of questioning doesn't necessarily mean that. It's got to come with other things that would cause a an agent to stop and question it. But I think there's a lot of things she points out in this video. Oh, yeah. There's there's yeah. a lot of things that, that I, as I thought about it, um, and I just came, I just realized another one. I have no doubt in my mind that if I had to protect you or my family, I could kill somebody. Obviously, seven years in the Marine Corps, I know how to do it. Mm. I still don't know how I would take that after the fact. You you know what I'm saying? What would that do to me mentally? Mm -hmm. Um, I would probably be okay with it because I would say, you know what? You know what? It was him or me and... The you know United States Marines don't you typically worry about that stuff? She had zero concerns about the fact that she had just killed a man as a normal person, right? No, no, mili- re- no, no military training, no, no remorse, no, no regret. police training. She was like, "He took me, I killed him." 
I'd like to go home with my husband. I, that that to me is like a red flag the size of Texas. <laughs> well, the other thing that occurred to me is during the questioning too, she talked about the video cameras being all over the place and she turns to one of the agents and says, make sure you try to find those tapes. I don't think that adding that directive would be something that would sit well with anyone who's trained to interrogate anyone. Yeah, I didn't hide it, but it might be out back in the yard 20 paces from the pool Right, <laughs> adding those extra details and embellishments, yeah. like saying he said, you know, I didn't leave and I was scared because he didn't give me access to a car or money and there were videotapes, or there were videotapes, or uh, video cameras all over the property and he showed me, you know, that he could see it on his phone. Yeah. So, you know, those types of things would be fine, but the, there's, it was just a little bit more detail than, you know, I would be comfortable. So, yeah, I get it. I understand that. And you know what? Before I tear it down, mm-hmm. we sh- let's talk about the movie itself, because there was a lot of good things about this movie. Okay. A lot of good things. Do you, Before we do that, Go for it. Um, one of the things I did is, because I know we talked about this a little bit, you know, during the weekend after we watched it, kind of taking it in and absorbing it and things like that. But I went on Twitter today on our account and I asked some of our other podcast uh, and movie Twitter friends uh, what they thought about these kind of procedural plot holes, so to speak. So the question I ask is, do the holes in the procedural elements of the film bother you? And I asked them to vote and comment. So we got about 28 votes. Um, I had left the poll open for about 13 hours today. I didn't even see that poll. Um, Are you following us? Trying to backdoor me? Are you following us? (laughs) Apparently not. Are you following me? (laughs) Okay. So I had four responses. I had they they ruined the movie. They're a bit annoying. Not an issue. Never noticed them as my potential answers. 43% said they never noticed them. 39% said not an issue. 11% said uh, they're a bit annoying, and 7% said they ruined the movie. Okay. So on this podcast, I've never said this, but okay. this, this is how I feel about movies. I really enjoy watching movies of just about any type. I like comedies. I like I like romances. I mean, we've watched we have watched a lot of different types of movies together. I don't care what the story is or what the rules are in the movie. If you take a universe for a movie mm-hmm. and you set it up and the rules are that humans can fly and breathe underwater, I have absolutely no problem that that's the world you're setting up for me. But you do not get to deviate from the rules of the universe just because you need something specific to happen. That to me completely ruins it takes you out of it. So I'm not I know that this movie was not a procedural. You've told me that that wasn't what David Fincher was going for. I understand that. I get it completely. But when I immerse myself in that universe and then you just completely ignore what would actually happen because you want a different direction, that's very hard for me to take. That 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 will ruin the movie for me. That would be like saying you know, we start off the first half of Iron Man and everything's great, but then the second half, you, all of a sudden you say, oh, wait, mate, Iron Man can't fly because iron's too heavy. Well, wait, wait. But why was it, you know, it, it just, right. it, it literally does, it doesn't, 
it doesn't ruin the movie for me if they're slight or if you're kind of just bending the rules or you you know what I mean. But when there's that many at the end of this movie, it did it it did ruin it for me. And apparently, I'm in the minority <laughs> big time. <laughs> well, if you look at that it closely enough, I mean, even in the first half when they're finding the blood, or the second second half when we find out this has all been set up and. Amy has drained her blood from herself to put it... And I mean, there was a lot of blood. There's no way she could have functioned as a human being taking that much blood out of herself at once. I, I don't think it is, was as much as everybody thinks it is, but it's still a pint. I think you, you only have like eight quarts of blood in your whole body. Well, did I... Maybe it you was s- only a You said a, a pint. I'll, du- I'll okay. double check the math okay. on that. But I mean, that w- it was literally... It was like a... It was like a gushing head. It wound. was like a three yeah. by three pool of blood. She, she could have she could have done with less, but she. I mean, it it led to some of the over exaggeration of this movie anyway. But she only located it in the kitchen, right? She had splatter in the kitchen. She had stuff on the floor. She had it looked like her hands were being pulled through the blood. However. You don't see them trying to collect blood anywhere that's. And an exit from the house, right? Front door, back door, whatever. So, I mean, there are still holes there. It's just they don't, they aren't as glaring as they are in the back half. There is no physical way short of wrap that person up in plastic for hours, which would have killed them. A la Norman Bates style. Right, which would have killed them because they would have suffocated that you would have that much blood on a body on the floor especially when she did the part with her hands where it looked like she was dragging her and not find blood Anywhere else in the house, it's it's a a, 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 a trained forensic officer like Dexter <laughs> would have said <laughs> well, he's an expert in right, blood spatter. <laughs> right, a trained forensic uh, officer would have said it doesn't make any sense that there's only blood right here. It just it's not possible. Right, that was one of the one of the things that I had, but, yeah, but I don't want I don't want to pick it all apart. No, yet. no, I'm, I want to get to some of the comments that um, our friends left, but before I do. You know, I've watched some of these videos sometimes on YouTube because they there are now this this nice little trend in YouTube videos where you have a lawyer talking about legal proceedings in movies and TV, or a doctor talking about those kind of medical procedural things that you see in movies and TV. And one of the things that I've seen in one of the, the doctor videos is. When someone comes in with symptoms, you don't jump to the most exotic thing, right? You've got to eliminate what is the most common. You look for the horse, you don't look for the zebra. And sometimes I think when you're looking at this and not not saying an FBI agent in real life would not see through her story at the end, you don't often look at the victim as the perpetrator. Right. You're tr- so. Yeah, but it's not about looking at the victim as a perpetrator. It's about hearing her story and going, that doesn't make any sense. That right. doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. And there's a process to questioning. You, you interview first, you get the story, then you question. Then if you need to, if you've got enough leading evidence, you would do a full on interrogation. Right. So I don't think all those people in the room at the same time with a you know what they're thinking is a victim of sexual assault would be there interviewing her even the even in some place that's high profile but there's, there's also no way that the FBI investigator would look at the person that had done the entire investigation and just dismiss them that quickly 
No, you would think that they would have had some debrief between yes, they, they, getting they, that they, over. They would, but they would have to. Yeah. So anyway, before we move on, I wanted to kind of give thanks to everybody who took part in the poll um, and talk about some of their responses. So B. Gardner, who we know is the film B, says, It depends. If they are glaringly obvious and take you out of the immersion of the film, then yes. However, I've been able to watch Gone Girl multiple times and am not bothered by it. Can't wait to listen to your episode. Thanks, B. So Joe over at One Movie Punch said, how realistic the film, quote, intends to be is the driver for how really realistic the story elements, quote, should be. Gone Girl tends toward realism, but the premise itself gives some leeway. Bad Boys for Life is a walking explosion and gets to avoid things like due process. That, that, and that's exactly what I'm getting at. It, right. They made this a procedural because she was going to commit the perfect crime. Right. And then the perfect crime fell apart. Right. So um, our friend Colby over at Colby told me, said holes. <laughs> That's what he said, really? Yeah. Colby, come on now. Um, and the Swamp Thing basically said, when a story is as captivating as Gone Girl, I don't pay attention to the plot holes. Well, fuck me. <laughs> Everybody's different, and this is how we learn to appreciate how different people appreciate movies. Tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna let them experience an earnest movie then. Oh no, no no. <laughs> He's on the list, just so you know. <laughs> oh no. Okay, at so at some point. Okay, so we've talked about that. What else has? Here, here's the well. You know what? I said there was a lot of good things about this movie, and there was a lot of good things about this movie. I thought that Ben Affleck and Rosamund Parker, and I, I thought all the act, the characters, all the actors in this movie were phenomenal. Even Medea, Medea crushed it. I, it was <laughs> Tyler Perry. You yeah, mean? no, Ma- Medea. He will always be <laughs> Medea to me. Wearing a dress. Tell me how many times <laughs> he was on this film on the, in the movie saying something. All you could hear was everything. Uh, I've uh, never seen a Medea movie. I haven't so either, I, I, but the commercials are funny. <laughs> I, every every bit of acting in this movie was really good. and Even NPH? Yeah, he was, I, I mean... Some people had an issue with NPH. Well, because he know. wasn't Barney. Yeah. Okay? That, I mean, that's that's it. You know, I, I, Neil Patrick Harris is an immensely talented... Oh, yeah. He has been ever since he was... Just I want to say, I wanna say, yo- say young man because he's younger than I am, but he's an immensely talented individual. Right. He can sing. He can dance. He, he's oh, he's yeah. got comedic chops. He's got... His character was exactly what I would have... He, so he creepy. He nailed it. Yes. So creepy. The creepy lady in the movie did not like him. That's how fucking creepy this guy's character was, right? <laughs> the psychopath didn't like the guy. Yeah. The, the the writing the 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 dialogue I thought was really really good it was it was it, it, I mean it it matched the character the just I I I thought like I said the first two hours of this movie it was a little long too it didn't need to be two and a half hours long but the the first two hours as they're setting this up and developing this it was it was really really good it it was it was tense but not so tense that you were jumping out of your seat. It was a tad bit predictable. Right. You knew. I mean, I, I, you know what? I say this. I say that knowing a couple of things about the movie. If I had not known that about walk, what the things I knew walking the movie, I might not feel as predictable. So I'll back off that statement a little bit. But it was right. It was just it was it was really well made. Even the last half hour was really well made. 
I mean, Rosamund um, Pike. Pike totally deserved, as far as I'm concerned, a Best Actress Award for this uh, nomination. I don't mm-hmm. think she won. Uh, you know, Ben Affleck. Was, that was his part of his comeback. He was yeah. very good in this movie. I, and you know what? I'm I'm not all about Ben Affleck, but I'm not not all about Ben Affleck. I think Ben Affleck's got some roles that he's done that he's been really good in, and he's got some roles that I'm like, I would never watch that movie ever. But there was a lot of good things. The The story was, was good. The one thing that... I don't like watching a movie where I don't have anybody to root for. And I had nobody to root for in this movie. The only fucking guy I could root for was a lawyer, and then I went, he's a fucking lawyer! <laughs> so that... Yeah, put this movie in a different vein as you're watching it. It's an interesting struggle it, it, that you it, put absolutely. you right in the middle of the struggle that is between yeah. Amy and Nick. So he, he did. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't. I expected more from the music when I saw Trent Reznor was doing it. The music didn't. It didn't seem to do it for me. I figured that in a movie like this, the movie would be a tad bit creepier. And a movie like this, the music would be tad bit a tad bit creepier, especially when you have Trent Reznor doing it. I think if you listen to it outside of of the context of being in the scene, it can be a little bit creepy because it's got these very sweet elements, and then these very creepy. Well, they said they said his briefing his briefing to the two guys that did the music was he went to a spa and was listening to music that was supposed to have relaxed him. And it didn't. It creeped him out. And he told him, that's what I want. Yeah. That makes more sense now after I, I, you know, that I've Mm -hmm. read that after I watched the movie. I just, I guess, I guess I'm not a Nine Inch Nails fan, but I'm not a Nine Inch Nails fan. You you know, not, 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 not on wood. I, yeah, (laughs) it was a song in the 70s. Everybody just not on wood, baby. Uh Uh-huh. No, is that, that's okay. I, so I guess I was expecting more because it was, but you know, then you realize that you can't really do more because it takes away from the movie. So mm-hmm. it, it was a couple things that happened in the beginning of the movie. I was like, eh, you know, yeah, okay, I'll let it slide, you know, because it was really super minor little little things like that. But the movie is, it, it's really, it was really well done. It was really well done. All the actors, all of them. Mm-hmm. There wasn't an actor in this movie that I was like. But there also wasn't anybody. I hated her parents. The first time I met her parents, I went, "She's a bitch about her mom." That's exactly what I said. She's a bitch, and that's that's and she was, co- totally and completely. Yeah, and they they contributed a lot to to Amy's makeup. Yeah, a little bit. But I li- I'd like to talk a little bit more about that later. But one of the things I think too is this movie is very hard to pin on its first watch unless you're extremely astute i i watched this one night the first time i saw it knowing very little about it with a friend of mine hi barb and i remember walking away going what the hell did i just watch what is this not to change your train of thought right you said hi barb i'm gonna say thanks a lot barb (laughs) I could have watched something else. No, I'm kidding. You know, you know what? I I felt that way after I was finished with it too. Even knowing some of the things that I knew, right? I mean, unfortunately, I went into it knowing about her killing uh, Desi, right? I I knew, and that. I wish I hadn't told you about that because I didn't think you were going to see it. Yeah, well, I I wouldn't have if it hadn't been for this podcast. (laughs) And you know what? That could be a very big twist. 
That could have been mm-hmm. a bit because because, but they were also they also set it up. You mm-hmm. saw it. You saw it coming because of the things that she was doing and. Yeah, well, she was said, yeah, and she had to kill him because, I mean, he's rich. He could probably afford another lawyer. She needed to get rid of that witness. The thing that bothered me the most, because there was a lot of things going through it that we were like, what the hell is she doing? Why is she doing this? What is, what's going on? And when she, when she finally ended up in Desi's house, and Desi ended up showing up shades of, insanity as well as far as his obsession with her and her him wanting her to lose weight and look like herself again and dye her hair back to blonde and dress the way I want you to dress like his own little personal Barbie doll we were like oh she's she's done it she screwed herself he actually made the comment about how I'm not going to force myself on you which I interpreted as when are we going to fuck yeah I mean, straight up. That's that's what he was yeah. saying in oh, a yeah. very, I mean, very business like manner. Very, very, you know, I'm I'm here for you. I want you but in the book, it's even more so because when she gets to the lake house, he takes her to the room that he's given her the nicest room and he's painted her quote unquote her favorite color. And she's like, That may have been my favorite color in high school. It's not my favorite color now, thinking to herself. I mean, doing all these things, like he's had maybe a night to prepare for her. So you really wonder when you're reading the book how long he's been waiting for her. Well, they've been writing letters back and forth. Right. So maybe maybe so, a long time. You know, but the that's other, oh, go ahead. No, the other part about his character that really kind of I don't I don't understand it when um Adam, right? Dunn, uh, what's Ben Affleck's character? Nick. Nick. When Nick goes to Desi's house to say, hey, she's missing. He goes, I want to help. And he asks him the questions. He just goes, Psh. That's rude. And walks away. Yeah. And, and and he wasn't asking him anything that was not 100% fact. Why are you writing my wife letters? That's rude. What the f- What? No, it's not. You, My wife is missing. As far as I'm concerned... I take that to the police right there and go, here's suspect number one. Right here, here's suspect number one. Right? Yeah. And then they go to his house and realize she's not there. It just, I don't understand why he acted that way if he really cared about her that much. Yeah. I Who? Nick? Desi. Desi. Because Desi, well, we'll, we'll get, I want to get into Desi later because there's there, there's oh. something that all of these have in common. I was kind of, we kind of went down this trail and I didn't want to, you know, well, you should have given me a syllabus. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, after I first watched this, the thing that sh- kind of shook me the most was the fact that we have a villain here that is very complex, and she's female, and she's doing all the things that are, as as another female, you're like, why would you present a character like that? Why would you present a character that is willing to set up and knock down all these men, and I was thinking it from a, from a female point of view, oh my God, you've just given ammo to every single guy that believes, you know, in his core that that's what women are like. And it took me a while to really sit on it and think about what this movie really was, which it really isn't a straight thriller, and that's not the way Fincher ever intended it to be. Fincher looked at this movie that the first third is the first act is mystery. The second act is, and it's very important to say absurdist, it's an absurdist thriller. 
And the third act is satire. And it's not as evident as pretend, perhaps the, the satire in Network or the satire in How I Stopped Worrying and Learned to Love the Bomb, Dr. Strangelove, but it is there if you look for it. Okay. Let me, let me read this because it was, quote, it goes right to what you were just saying. All right. Gillian uh, Flynn mm-hmm. is the author. Right. She's been accused of being misogynistic. And for all those out there in Radio Land, what does misogynistic mean? Are you asking? Do yeah. you sincerely want yeah. to know what it means? No, I know what it means. <laughs> she says, to me, that puts a very small window on what feminism is. And she was accused of being misogynistic because the villains of three novels, Gone Girl, Sharp Objects, and Dark Places, have all been female. To me, that puts a very, very small window on what feminism is. It is really only girl power, and you go girl, and empower yourself, and be the best you can be. Right. For me, it's also the ability to have women who are bad characters. The one thing that really frustrates me is this idea that women are innately good, innately nurturing. In literature, they can be dismissibly bad, trampy, vampy, bitchy types, but there's still a big pushback against the idea that women can be just pragmatically evil, bad, and selfish. I don't write psycho bitches. The psycho bitch is just crazy. She has no motive, and she is a dismissible person because of her psycho bitchiness. And then she says uh, she concedes that hers is not a particularly flattery, flattering portrait of women, but that's fine by me. Isn't it t- time to acknowledge the ugly side? I've grown quite weary of the spunky heroines, brave rape victims, soul-searching fashionistas that stock so many books. I particularly mourn the lack of female villains. And when you look at it, too, I mean, Amy, when we when you did the villain tournament, I remember okay, I was intimately involved in the villain tournament just, just on a little top bit. five for fighting because I was working on that damn thing every week. A lot of people did say Amy Dunn was scary because we did put Amy Dunn in that first round and we had her up against uh, the warden from Shawshank. Shawshank and we had her up against oh, who else did we have? Some, a lot of people Didn't that were just... Did you have her up against uh, he, the psychos? It was from, um, she wasn't from in no, s- no Country for Old Men? No, we, we didn't have her in the psycho category, but but okay. but look at it that way too. You, it's it's perfectly okay to go to a movie and see an Anton Chigurh brutally murder people and not think about what is that saying about men. Yeah, how come he's not right? a nurturing father? Right. <laughs> um, Maybe he is. Maybe he just needed a job until the next one came along because right. the family was hungry. And and <laughs> Gillian back. and Gillian Flynn does do a, a really good job of, of setting up a backstory that would support why she's going so off the rails, so to speak, doing this and, and that she does have a mental disorder. I mean, I've read different articles and interviews with psychologists who, who look at this character and, you know, assign certain behavioral issues to her disorders to her from anywhere from anti well always in the range of antisocial personality disorder um sociopath psychopath um narcissist you know borderline personality disorder all these things and it and she's planted these things within the character's backstory that make it plausible and make her more interesting and more layered the thing that i have here that fincher said about it being a satire said in this in this interview said i'm going after something that walks a fine line between satiric and stupid 
There was a national lampoon record in the mid-70s called That's Not Funny, That's Sick. That's the kind of tone of the movie. If we play it too earnest and sincere, it's tragedy. But if we go with the absurdity of it, I think we can walk that satirical line. The beginning of the movie purports to be the Scott Peterson's case, stripped from the headlines, as you say. I know what this is. I know where I am in the investigations. But then by the time Desi comes into it, it becomes about not about you at all. It takes off into the semi-absurd world. And then by the time we get to the fight in the dressing room, you kind of go, oops, we as an audience are not absolved. We are complicit. Why are we complicit? That's a good question. I think his satire, when he talks about the satire in this, it's really about satirizing modern marriage and modern life in which we put this facade out to the world. I'm not a whiz when it comes to watching satire. I I don't I know that satire is, you know, usually off color uh, word I'm looking for. I don't I don't, I don't really mm-hmm. know. But I, I, I can tell you this. I don't see satire when I watch this movie. I see him making fun of some things. I see him making fun of the media because, I, 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 and you know what, and as far as I'm concerned, he nails it because that's exactly what the media does. That's exactly what people do. Um, they just assumed that he had killed her, the whole media. Then she makes comments about how he's sleeping with his sister. That's why he killed her. Then they all hated him because now all of a sudden one person says, did she say anything about the pregnancy? So now all of a, all of a sudden it's like we had a pregnancy test in our hand. Then he goes on a show and everybody's like, oh, you know what? He didn't do it. He's a really great guy. He, he took you on that roller coaster of that whole thing where nobody says, you know what? We just need to chill out. We need to let the police do their job. We need to find out what's going on. And, and, and the, the normal, the normal but, but right. he, he was really he was very satirical. I don't see him. I, I don't see what he did with that marriage there being satirical. Well, I, I see. It, I see it as. I, I think at the end, it's it's he's he's setting this up as a game. And in the beginning, when he, when you see, because I don't believe this is in the book, when he hands the game to go in the bar, all the names of games are like mastermind and. There's a few others there that yeah, really... There's, there's Mastermind mm. and uh, something else. There's a Ouija board. There's um, Right. But but they're in, the, they're in the movie, too. Yeah, and they're all about, you know, life. playing games. Game of life. Yep, the game of life. They, all these things that would kind of lend itself to... In the marriage, it's a competition. You know, you're competitive with each other, and, and that's his view in this. I think some of the satire comes in is extremely subtle. Like after she kills Desi and she kind of flips over and ends up being on top, pinning him down when he's dead, that little hair flip she does, there's no reason to have that hair flip in there other than to be like so over the top and crazy absurd. Like it's in my way. I'm getting frustrated with it. It's, yeah. It is really kind of fun. There are some really great moments of humor in there that I never noticed on the first watch. Okay. But that doesn't make it a satire. Well, I think that there are some things that are sat- satiristic about the the media and and a few other things. I mean, it's the, the media. I, buy, I I I don't I don't see the marriage him the way he portrays the marriage as a satire. I I'm not the biggest satire guy in the world. Like I just said, mm-hmm. I I see it as just two individuals that don't want to be together anymore. That 
but she does. She wants to be together. She just wants him. They, she wants to be with him as long as he's coming into it on her terms. She needs to win. But is that a satire or is that just a severe, a severe behavioral disorder? I didn't walk away from this thinking that this was a tragedy either. There was something just kind of off about it, just the way that network felt a little bit off, and you walked and you felt very strange at the end of it. So, I, I okay, I tend to to agree more with the satire. I think it's very subtle, and you really have to dig for it. Network, I buy as a satire. Mm-hmm. No, I get it. I I see what they were doing there. I don't I don't see it. I don't see it here. That doesn't mean it's not. That's just my point of view. I okay. just don't see it that way. Okay. I really want to get into Amy because she is a very layered character, as we said before. All right. Um, probably one of the most interesting characters I've seen in a long time. And, of course, your rare female villain. Of course, we're getting more of these these days. Like, we've got Villanella in, in Killing Eve, who's I almost said Killing Amy. Now, there'd be a matchup. Yep. No, I no. It Villanella, take her down. About thirteen <laughs> seconds. So she is um, again a very, I guess. Do I want to say disturbed? I want to say she does have some kind of psychological disorder. Amy? It is clear. Yes. Oh yeah, she's. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not say crazy, but. No, she's, she's not. She's definitely got some. You kind know. Definitely a lot of personality. Crazy is disorders. a word that gets thrown around when it shouldn't be thrown around. Right. Like in comic books, everybody always wants to say how the Joker is crazy. He's not crazy. Because right. crazy, just like um, the, the, micro, the author Gillian Gilliam Gilliam Flynn. Flynn said, she doesn't want to write crazy because they don't, right. they're not cold, they're not calculating. There, there, there's, this, there's a Hitler-esque evil, for lack of a better word, with her. It's very... Every move had a reason. Everything she did, every she it's it's a it's a Hannibal Lecter style of of evil with her. Yeah, and I don't even think unless you're you're talking about the the series that was on television, and I've never even seen that. You don't get a hell of a lot of backstory. You don't you don't know how Lecter got from where he was to being a you know cannibal. You see more with Amy. And one of the one of the things I was listening to an interview with Fincher and Rosamund Pike, and Rosamund Pike basically said when she read the book and she, she looked at it, she really looked at Amy as being this entitled personality, but also very ashamed and insecure because she knows that that sense of entitlement does not come from her own accomplishments. Her whole script had been written for her by her parents, rewritten by her parents. Rewritten, yes. She had no sense of core identity. Her parents basically stripped her of that because anything she did, if she did not do it well, she essentially had a twin that was the golden child. She even calls her the golden child in the movie that does it better than she ever did. Yep. And they're supposed to be psychologists. That's the thing about her parents. They're supposed to be psychologists who are, who are writing these books. You think that they would know? Well, they took they took a child, mm-hmm. made mistakes, corrected the mistakes in the book, and made a mint. That's what they did. That's exactly what her parents did. Her parents made mistakes as parents. 
completely fucked something up and said, you know how it should have ended? It should have ended like this. Okay, let's write that chapter. I don't even think that the... I, I, I hesitate to call them mistakes. She's a girl. She's a little girl. How many things did you get into when you were a kid that you just never followed through on? You tried something oh, and it didn't I work. Always fit everything right to the end. Yeah, I've I've done it. You <laughs> <laughs> even now, um, but no, you try something, it doesn't quite work for you, or something happens and someone's a little bit better than you and you get cut. And to so maybe in their mind it's correcting a mistake that they made in their parenting, but that has nothing to do with their parenting. That's just life. And instead yep. of making her feel better and trying to find the thing that she did do well, they basically rewrote her life for her. How does that, that does makes her feel like she is nothing and this invisible child is doing so much better for her. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Nick has a twin, that the person she ends up marrying has a twin because for all intents and purposes, she has a twin. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. It's, it's, she did that on purpose. And the fact that she's a writer, her parents are writers, and Nick's a writer is not a coincidence either because they're all trying to put up these images of what they think people like. And I think that became Amy. Amy, Amy benefited from what her parents did, but she also was damaged by it. So it's a compromise that she had to make in terms of I get the nice things because my parents make money off of these books and I get to go to a nice college and do all these things. But her entire life is trying to live up to that person that doesn't exist. So she's made that compromise and she, she isn't, she doesn't know who Amy is. And that falls into place when she, in her past relationships, like the guy that wasn't meeting up to her expectations and he decided to put the brakes on it. Now she's feeling entitled. So she, that's that narcissist in her is offended by that. And she just does what she wants to get her revenge. And that's part of that antisocial personality disorder. Um, and it's the same thing with Nick. She's got to rewrite it. I mean, she is, if anything, this wasted potential because the writing she does, everything she does, it's meticulous she she really plans this out. She could have been a writer on her own merits. And this is what she turns into. And it's the same thing with I don't know how talented Nick was because Nick doesn't seem to be all that He's pretty good at Battlefield 3. <laughs> eating that Chinese food. But so I I really find that character fascinating because Something could have gone wrong, but it's so right. And then when we talk about Desi, too, even with Desi, Desi doesn't care about her. He only cares about what he wanted. He cares about the idea of her. Yeah. Right? This idealized romance that he had from high school. I've and when you she, since high school. Yeah. And when, she, when he shows up at the casino to get her, it's visible on his face. Like, what the hell did you do? Because when she took off, she's like, screw what everybody else wants. And that's why she gets into this whole, what everybody calls the cool girl monologue. And a lot of, a lot of women like this monologue, even though you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt about who's saying it. And some of the things that she says in it are extremely through the eyes of Amy and not necessarily looking. So she paints everybody with this broad brush. But it does, it does resonate with a lot of 
women because of when Gillian Flynn wrote it. I don't know if you've read anything in your research about this particular part of it, because, you know, you read the other part about her being called misogynistic. But basically, um, she came up, the concept of the cool girl speech kind of came out of um, her just kind of recognizing some things that are going on, that were going on in the culture. She says in an interview with the Vulture, it's become a kind of shorthand. We all know what we're talking about when we talk about the cool girl. It's the putting up with the machismo bullshit and smiling and nodding when you know better. That has a lot to do with it. There's the pretending, the pretend aspect. But it's also, sure, that's great, when it's not. It's pretty cool that it's taken off. It's a worthwhile conversation to have and to continue having. There's not a right answer to it, necessarily, and I don't think a certain extent it's a bad thing. I remember seeing that there's something about Mary in the theaters when I was in my 20s, and there's Cameron Diaz, who looks like Cameron Diaz, but she's also a doctor. She also loves hamburgers and starts out playing golf in the morning. And all she wants from a man is a guy to take her to a football game. And she wants to eat hot dogs and drink real beer. Real beer. And I thought, wow, that's a cool girl. And then I thought, all right, she's been invented by guys. Okay. So while that's coming out of the, the mouth in the movie of... Amy, who you don't necessarily want to be in her league in a lot of places, it does, I think, call into something with women. And I think that women kind of do resonate with this because there are certain points when you are dealing with men where you feel the pressure to play it cool, even though something may be upsetting you or bothering you. And into a lot of extents when you start relationships, you're not wholly representing yourself, right? Because yeah. you want to make your best impression. Well, the good news is that men never have to deal with that. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying a lot of women do agree with the fact that if a guy says something, you know, sexist in front of women, there's that point where you have to pause and say, do I call them out on that? Or do I act like it's cool? Right? And a lot of men, when they when they say, oh, yeah, she was a cool girl, she was a cool woman, it means she just likes the same stuff that I like. Not necessarily that they're cool in their own right because they have different okay. interests and, and tastes. So I think that's what's resonating about that. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that she's also... Uh, pretending a lot to be who she thinks Nick wants to be and when it didn't pay off that snap happened again it, it probably and it takes it to extreme and maybe that's where the satire comes in because we all know that we put up this good front I don't think the snap happened until she found out that he was cheating on her and he approached her in the same way that he approached Amy yeah with that kiss it was supposed to be special Right. Because she was still doing things and, and acting like normal. She said in the movie they went through the parts where she's it was after, you know, like the second act where they start showing you, you know, all the different things and how stuff it went down. She said I, we took the last bit of my, my trust fund and bought him a bar so that he could feel I wanted him to feel like he was important and he was contributing and blah 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 blah. And then she said, And I went to the bar one night to make him feel better 
and that's when she found out he was cheating on her. Right. First of all, dipshit, you don't go walking outside of the bar that you own with your girlfriend, first of all. I mean, I would I I don't cheat. I have zero respect for people who cheat. I think I think if you do, it's it's I, I think it's the lowest thing you can do in the world. But I mean, cheaters 101. You don't go walking down the fucking street with your girlfriend when you're married in a small town. They they are not in New York City or downtown Orlando. They are in Yeehaw, Missouri, population eight. <laughs> right? Okay. I mean, that's they they are not in a big town. Everybody no. in that town kind of seemed to know everybody. They had it's not big. I mean, be be smart. That's to me was when she flipped. That was that was when she started trying to uh, put him in jail because he broke her heart slashed and she and not only not only did she was she trying to put him in jail she was going to kill herself yeah she she was going she was going she was legitimately going to fake her own death have him go to jail and then kill himself so herself so that she would have to stay in jail there would be and, no and way death penalty yeah. i mean it's she said you basically killed me so it's punish let the punishment fit the crime yeah but a lot of that and you've got to take amy and to some extent, Nick as unreliable narrators, oh, because of they're they're trying to spin their own story and they're lying to themselves in the process. That's what made the first and the second part of the movie to me so good. Yeah, to me, I mean, it really it it was. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was trying all week. I, there's some, there was a there's a movie or something that I've seen that I can't remember mm-hmm. that did that where you saw the same story from different views. If anybody listens to this, and they know they have an. Uh, uh, he said, she said? No, no. <laughs> they have an example. God, what is wrong? Why can't I remember the word example? I they, that they have an example late. that please let me know because it's been, it's been, it's been right in the, stuck in my crawl for the last mm-hmm. three or four days. You, you, you get that and they do it on purpose intentionally because he's saying things that you, that, remember there was a couple of times where he said something I'm like, a fucking piece of shit. Right? Right. And, and then, I, and then I looked at you a couple of times when she was saying, and I said, what, where does, where does she get that from? Right. Just the, and, and I and that's intentional because they they have ninety percent of the story and they're filling in the other ten percent and the other ten percent they're filling in is wrong. Right. Well, she wanted. I think she wanted the body to be found because you really can't convict anybody without the body. And she was waiting for. You even see. I I talked to you about this before we started recording. I was watching the cool girl speech at one point and had to pause it and ended up pausing it on the they show when she's driving along the the road there that she's got her notes and all the pens that she used to write that diary because she used different pens you know to make it look like she was writing on different days and she's throwing the pens out the window when you focus when I paused it it was on her notes and she had two pages worth of notes and the things that she had to check off were you know to get the urine from Noelle uh to to make the doctor's appointment, to make sure she st- she stole the IVs from the doctor so she could drain her blood. The catheters. The catheters. Yeah. Um, to basically go everywhere, and she's writing all these things, and one of the things on her checklist was check out places to drown myself. So she had it fully intended to do it because some part of me was like, did she ever really want to do it? But she is, I think part of her narcissism will not let her do that. She likes herself too much. On her calendar, she had kill herself three or four different times, different yeah, spots. She kept pushing it back. 
So you saying that about the pins, there was something that I had run across uh, that I didn't think was really mattered. But you specifically bringing it up, I want to say it. The whole play with the pins of different colors was Gillian Flynn's visual solution to the translation to screen of Amy's diary. And they also bring out specifically during the, the girl uh, the, the cool girl speech, she's driving in the car writing with a pin right. that had like, you know how you buy those pins that have the little logos on them like at Disney World with Mickey right. or Goofy or whatnot? It was a stork carrying a baby. Right. Probably specifically while she's writing about how I'm pregnant. Right. And she had one that had a, a bride and groom on them. Nice. She had the little fluffy pink ones. That, the, the pens have all these personalities to them that she just doesn't have. There's a lot of things that he did right in this movie. There's a lot of things yeah. he did right. And then when you do a movie like that with that attention to detail, that's what I'm saying. He makes that attention to detail with those pens, but then he just completely pisses away what FBI <laughs> agents would actually do at the end. It, it kind of, you're like, wait, wait, what are you doing? I, well, I think, I think that that just, I, going back to that, I think it just heightens the absurdity of the media circus and the pressure to just close this damn thing. And, that's that's where, where I'm going to. But what I was getting at is when she's in this car and she has been trying to be what she thinks is the perfect wife. And a lot of that is, but she's also very controlling. Given given her psychological makeup and and what people have said is people are who have this antisocial personality disorder with a touch of narcissism can be extremely controlling. So when she feels that everything that she's doing on behalf of her marriage and more for her than Nick is not appreciated by Nick, she says, fuck it, essentially. And then you see her in the car eschewing everything that she's done. So when she's talking about the cool girl speech, it's like, screw it. I don't want to be a size two anymore. And one of the things on the list was, Sun myself, you know, once this the whole thing is over and she gets to her destination, sun myself, get fat, yeah, <laughs> and really do that. So she's got this. I mean, this is wouldn't you want to do this? She's got the burger and the fries and the extra large king size king cat, uh, Kit Kat bars and you know all that stuff. So it's yeah, but to your point too, she was off base with her thinking that she'd been the perfect wife. Oh yeah, it's all about her. Yeah, but yeah, she was there. There, there right. was off base. She, I mean, there. I, I took it that there was a point when they were talking about the the scavenger hunts mm-hmm. that Nick really didn't like them. He didn't like them because they were a kick in his crotch. Yeah, because he wasn't smart enough to do them. It's not that he wasn't smart enough to do them. She would write things very specifically about things that happened in their relationship during the year, and he wasn't paying attention enough to them. And it was basically an indictment of the fact that he was a bad husband that wasn't paying attention to it that's why he couldn't get the clues okay so either way she could have just said you're not paying attention to me number one if that's what she wanted there was the scene to me the very telling scene and again this is not how it happens she says my parents publisher dropped them and now they're in a bunch of debt that that's not how that works when your publisher drops you it means you just don't have any new books coming out the old books still come out. You still have all your money. Your royalties, yes. We'll throw that to the side. She says, they're in a ton of debt, and I need to give them some of my trust fund money. And he says, oh, really? How much? And she says, 800 and something thousand dollars. And he goes, that's almost all of it. And she goes, I'm going to do it. And he goes, um, okay. Why did you fucking ask then? Well, as she said, it's not her money to begin with. It's a trust. It's in her name. It's not in her name, but it's in, uh, in trust of it's still her parents' money. But uh, that's not how trusts work. 
trust it, when you have a trust it means that you're allowed, the money is set up for that person mm-hmm. okay so if i live if i if i died and left a bunch of money in you to a trust you can't just go clean it out it's to pay certain things it's your money somebody i can't just go back in and take it that's the whole purpose there's taxes or whatnot but but right. re- but regardless she it, it 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 is her money because her parents gave it to her. It wouldn't surprise me, given what we know, which isn't a lot about her parents, but the way that they were kind of doing their own wish fulfillment on their daughter through their books, which was making them money, that they wouldn't go ahead and spend a lot of money and go on trips and become financially irresponsible and take the money back from well, their mean, daughter. It's wouldn't surprise me at all. It's believable because they were both a couple of douchebags too. They really were. Um, she gets pissed off at him because he's doing exactly what she told him to do. The mother, mm-hmm. we need you. We need you to show the world. That, you know, and then he smiles. She goes, "I can't believe you're smiling." He's like, "You, you basically said it. You fucking told me to." You know, she didn't tell him to smile. Some one of somebody, one of the photographers, told him to smile. Right, but and, she. Yeah. He said, "I'm here doing exactly what everybody wants me to do. You told me to do this," and she goes. <sighs> you're right. And she's pissed off that her daughter, who she really doesn't care about that much, is gone. Right. She, I, I, I don't believe that that, that that mother and father gave two shits about no. the fact that she had moved to Missouri. And Amy doesn't care that she's hurting them and doing that, if she is at all. Because she believe, you know, she knows, she believes she knows that she's been an accessory mm-hmm. to her parents all that time. I think let's, let's just take a break and give our friend Colby some love. All right, we'll do that. Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Colby Mack, host of the Colby Told Me podcast. It's my whenever I want to deep dive with the Mack himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure. This is my 30 minutes or less solo pod, keeping it real with reviews, sometimes movie news, and an always dope box office breakdown. I'm the best subjectively objective film critic in the game, and when they ask you where you heard it from, you tell them Colby told me. Peace. Okay, if you guys don't listen to Colby, you should. Yeah. Moving on. At Colby told me. Yeah, that's what he just said at the end of his promo there, honey. (laughs) So, basically, I feel at the end of this movie with Amy, it's chilling because all she wants to do is kind of win this and have this image that she, she wants to portray, right? She doesn't care that Nick despises her. She doesn't care that Nick doesn't want to be with her. She's doing everything she can to keep Nick with her so she can now, because now she's flipped this narrative. She's got the media interested in her. Um, She's probably going to write a book. She needs to have this perfect package, right, to go with this now. Everybody's paying attention to me, and this is my, you know, this is my turn to write my narrative. I need all my pieces into place. I need the doting husband, and I need the child. And the fact that that's enough for her, that's scary. That is a scary individual well, right there. That is a house of cards that's ready to fall and snap again at any minute. The last, the last scene is it, the 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 lines come from Ben Affleck, and he's 
basically saying, what have we done to each other? You mm-hmm. know, I want to crack my wife's head open, unspool her brain, find out what she's thinking. She's put herself in a position where she's in charge. Mm-hmm. She's ba- She thinks she's won. I, I mean, I guess technically she has. Mm-hmm. But that's at that point, it's not about being in a marriage that she has what she wants. She's in control. And I guess she feels like she's gone through all that, that now she's just going to get what she wants. I don't know why anybody, you're right, I don't know why anybody would want that because what happens if he just decides one day to up and go, we're she done. Kill him. How's she going? What, what, <laughs> she's, uh, yeah? She'll find a way. Okay. I mean, there's, when you, when you talk about a narcissist and when a narcissist is confronted, which is which was Detective Boney's big mistake when she's trying to confront her in a room full of these FBI agents, right? You don't approach a narcissist that way because they will end you. Um, there is something that's called the smear campaign. So if you do something that a narcissist doesn't like, that they will either overtly or co- covertly basically try to make it look like it is you. And not them. Of course. And so I've I'm... I've known a couple I'm, of those. I'm, I'm pretty sure that she would... She's smarter than Nick. So, you know, you would assume that she'd be always one step ahead. But it just... it, I, I find that particular aspect of this personality so chilling. And the fact that, you know, that's enough for her. Um, it, it just... Even though she's quote-unquote won in this movie she hasn't won and in the book it ends very differently with nick getting in kind of one last dig because he's doting on her and she's like well why are you being so nice to me today and he said it's because i feel sorry for you you have to get up every day knowing what you did and being who you are but she doesn't give a shit she could care less yeah, she she could care less. She'll log it one for later and figure out how to get yeah, him back. She, you she know, <laughs> you feel sorry for her. You ought to feel sorry for yourself, dummy. Yeah. Okay. So, um, not not a bad performance by uh, Ben Affleck. I thought it was a great performance. I thought he was really good in it. Yeah, I, I thought. I, I mean, he was he was Ben Afflecky. Um, <laughs> I, you I, know I, what? It, but was it served less, the role. It served the role well. His a lot of Ben Affleck stuff has a, a very. Uh, I don't want to say a, a, a funny side or a sarcastic side, but he always has that that little glimmer of. Oh, I D A G. No, I F- no, I don't. No, no, I don't, no. It's not. It's not that. It's. You, you know what? Sometimes my my words just don't. I, I know what I'm trying to say. I apologize to everybody. It's that little. He gets. He got like when you get like a little smirk, like that. It's not sinister. It's just playfulness. He always has. He always seems to have like an air of, of you know, I'm super serious. But hey, look at this. I got on pink shoes. You know, you know something. You know what I'm trying to say? It's. Yeah, I don't get that from him, but I, okay. I get that for a lot of his roles that he's popular for. Okay. Okay. His monster movies. Okay. That he's been in, that's that's kind of, you know, he tried. I mean, he didn't do it as Bruce Wayne, obviously, because they wouldn't allow it. But you know, I mean, you you've got just that little. Even in uh, Goodwill Hunting, he just had that teenagerish 
frat boy. Yeah, frat he's boy. Extremely type, frat type, boy. Yeah, you know, boiler room. He just always has that. In fact, one of the reasons that David Fincher was really into Ben Affleck playing this role mm -hmm. was because all the pictures that he saw, he B Fincher has a process of he knows what he wants a character to look like, and then he looks at a lot of pictures of actors. Right. And he said a lot of the pictures that I saw of Ben Affleck had the same smirk slash smile, and it was the basically the look that he wanted for the television interview. Mm -hmm. And he says he nailed it. I want him because everybody can play the serious part if you're if you're a good actor, you know. So. It, to me, he he kind of, I feel he stepped out of his comfort zone in this a little bit because he's either an action guy, or he's a you know he's a you know a mall rats character type guy that that type of thing. He he was he was a little more he was a little more this shit's real right now and I've got I mean I'm a guy that really isn't in love with my wife who really is broke who's really in debt who really is cheating on her. It and was, he was it, really cheating on his wife with the nanny at the time. So he, yeah, yeah, yeah he's probably, probably, you know, I mean, whatever. So he wanted to be Schwarzenegger. Everybody wants to be Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I don't know what he's trying to say. So, I mean, again, I thought he did. I thought he was very good mm -hmm. in this movie. I, I don't have an issue with anybody in it. Speaking of Fincher casting, uh, we had mentioned before that it was Reese Witherspoon optioned this movie for her production company. She bought it so that she could produce so and star she, in it. Yes. Yeah, and she wanted to star in it, and Fincher convinced her that she was wrong for it. And I think she probably would have... I think she would have done okay, because I've seen her do darker stuff. But I don't think she would have appealed to as many people as Rosamund Pike did, though. I Well, I don't think she could play off that coldness very well without it seeming petulant. I, have you seen her in Election? Because Election's one of her darker ones. I have not. Um, you better not fucking pick that movie. Either. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. It's I heard a lot of people talk about up, how good it is. That's the one with um, Ferris Bueller, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, and uh, Bill Murray. Is Bill is, isn't Bill Murray? No, in Bill it? Murray's not in that. You're. I he's think in Rushmore. He's in Rushmore. Okay. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. So. Um, so I just think she would have come. Because she's got so much baggage, and everybody sees her as you know the legally blonde and 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 everything else, and even some of her earlier roles. I don't, I can't remember. I think was it called Red or something like that? It was it was a movie she did with Kiefer Sutherland that that was kind of this modern day Little Red Riding Hood, and she was kind of trailer park trash, and it was. Uh, I yeah, mean, I know, have I you know seen this? About, yeah, yeah, it, it's super dark, but I think. She comes with a lot of preconceived notions, and I think her coming off as cold would come across as spoiled, rich, petulant brat. What what he liked about Rosamund Pike is he watched a lot of the things that she was in, and he couldn't get a read on her. She's done a lot of different stuff. Yeah, he could not get a read on 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 who she was as an actress. You know, some actresses you watch and you you know you get a read on what they're what their media reputation is and she, he just couldn't and that's what he liked about her and and that's what he said it really he wanted to cast whether people like or it or not actors get stereotyped and she is stereotyped as i'm not going to say romantic comedies but as the sweetie pie mm -hmm. for, she is that that, right. that that's what she does so i i don't think it would have been as good i probably would not have liked her in that role but you know what who am i I'm, David Fincher wants to cast somebody. I th I think he made the right decision. 
Yeah, she, so I I think she he she's uh, she's really good in it too. So I think yeah, he did it. the casting decision on that was great, and then all her nominations that she got for it kind of speak to that. For sure. So for with sure. The, with the character of Nick, I've I've not read the book, but I've read about the differences in the book, and I actually think I'm probably going to put it on my reading list. But I really think that Nick's a little bit more whitewashed in the movie than he is in the book you you you're more inside of his head in the book because it goes from his point of view and his perspective in his mind and in the first half of the book it's that and the diary right and then the second one it's between her and him and they speak to it and you only see really a glimpse of his dad but his dad is extremely misogynistic in the book as part of his backstory. So there's a lot of that he's carrying around in him. And he's kind of fighting it off, I guess, in the book in his head. Because, you know, every inter- almost every interaction with a woman who, get, who get, makes him upset or something like that kind of ends with him thinking, stupid bitch. Right. And him catching himself. Um, the fact, you know, it's, it's alluded to in the book that, you know, his father was probably abusive to his wife. Um, cheated on her, did all these things. So I I think he his image that he's trying to write or rewrite or lie to himself about is he is not that when in a lot of aspects he is. Um, you know, he wants to play it off as the veneer of this Midwestern polite boy. I was taught to be polite. I was taught to do this. I was taught to do that. We're, I think there's some truth in that, but I also think that he's a little bit of an unreliable narrator in that as well, because it's a cover up. It's a go-to. Right. Um, so, and the, I think it's also the dynamic between him and go is very much him turning to her as a caretaker, right? Mm-hmm. A substitute for mom. Yeah. And she's rich, she's got the money, they yeah. nice jobs, nice life, yeah. And so that becomes her role and her her, you know, so she doesn't have much, right? Cuz she's there, you know, you talk about having twins and stuff like that. Sometimes twins kind of hinge their identity off of one another, but it's very um what's the word I'm looking for? codependent. Right? So she yeah. doesn't really have her own, and I think she picks up some of those aspects you kind of see in the in the first scene where they're talking about the wood anniversary, and she says something about you slap, you know, just go home, slap her with your dick, and say, "There's your wood, bitch." Yeah. I mean, you don't expect that to come out of a, a yeah. female's mouth. No. So. Well, she is a bartender. That's true. Mm. But why is she working? You know what I mean? Why is she working there? What'd she do before then? You know, there's always there's some parasitic qualities to it as well well so it's yeah it but you know what also mm-hmm. i i can i can understand that because you have a business like that you mm-hmm. got you've got somebody running it you gotta you gotta trust who you have running it mm-hmm. and who better than your sister if you really care about your sister you well, know what i mean it, it seems like he didn't even work at that bar he went and drank at that bar that's kind of what it looks like to me yeah, yeah. i mean that, which was what i was thinking is she there 24 7 because if she is she's living in a shithole dude you need to pay her a little bit more yeah definitely Definitely. And it, and the whole thing, too, about them moving from in New York City. I mean, I think a lot of it would probably be Amy, but, you know, wanting the nice things because she's used to the nicer things in life. But you don't see him giving up the, uh, what was it, an Audi, Mercedes? What was he driving? I think he was driving a Volvo. A Volvo. I think. 
Yeah, but you know that so was that was the other thing too that kind of threw me out of this movie, especially as they dug deeper into the story. Not to derail you from Nick. Is right. you, do you want to continue to talk about Nick? Um, I, yeah. Unless something else comes up, I think we're okay. I think we're we've dispatched of Nick. These people were living like kings. Mm-hmm. That house, that's a half a million dollar home. I don't care where you're at. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's it, a it, McMansion. It, uh, um, yeah. uh, the, 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 the closet in that bedroom was bigger than oh, our house. It was bigger than our house. <laughs> I guess I can't say kill for that yeah. closet on this. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you can. I think actually it's perfect. <laughs> um, they were both driving unbelievably nice cars. Yeah. Um, the, 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 I mean, the piece of property they had mm-hmm. with that house. Uh, they, they, there's a whole room for the cat. Yeah, uh, they had. It was a three, four, five bedroom mansion with a kitchen that was. It was that was a hundred thousand dollar kitchen. Just just kitchen, between yeah. the, the the countertops and the cabinets and the island and the. I mean, they, they were living like kings, but they were, they they were broke in New York. Yeah, because that was where they were when he's like, I've never not had a job, and she's like, Yeah, it's a recession. I don't have a job either. You know, I, mine's coming. Where 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 the hell did all that money come from? Because right. mommy and daddy took their money back. Yeah, those those that's one of the things that kind of took me well, out of he this. He said that's almost all of it. So you got to assume there's like a quarter of a million dollars left or something like that. Well, I I was under the impression, yeah, if it's almost all of it, I'm thinking maybe there's a million in there, maybe. Yeah. But they they did they weren't buying the house. Mm-hmm. They were leasing. They were renting the house. Mm-hmm. But still, what's your your rent's going to be more than the mortgage? Right. Because the people ain't going to rent it to you for what it, you know, there was things like that that I just, that kind of, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't get it. I don't understand. I just, I just honest to God don't understand how you have a house like that and, and a wife that looks like that and a job that cushy and you're unhappy. Yeah. Well, I also think it's, it's very telling in this book, you know, we, we talk about class. Right, mm-hmm. and and I'm not talking about you fancy, you know, or you you you're elegant. You're talking, you're talking about, talking about class. talking about social class. Yeah, um, that they would have the luxury to be that displeased with their life. Right, right. Um, that's something, and I don't know how much he was making at the college. So we don't know what his income is. Um, you're gonna assume it's somewhere mid. You know, it's not. It's not it's six be, figures, but it's. It's gonna be. It's. It's. There's uh, mid range. Yeah, 60, we're not talking 50, 60, 000, We're not talking you know. Notre Dame University. No, we're and it doesn't. It doesn't look like the bar is bringing anything. But she so. said the bar was a, a liability. Mm-hmm. So, but it it does say something where that's not good enough, and I understand if you're coming from the city to what she calls flyover country, it it definitely is something where she was kind of holding that grudge but i think also and we've seen we've seen people who are like this we've seen couples fall apart like this where if i don't get exactly what it is i want i'm going to make your life hell right and it needs to be the way that i want it and and what i want so that's because nobody else in their life was living like that no nobody else in that town was living like that yeah i see i just don't get it because and and I think it's interesting too that the, the two people she wasn't able to outthink were the people that she looked down on because they were quote unquote lower class. Yeah, then they they they, yeah. they owned her because well you know there's also a difference between book smart and street smart. You know that girl didn't the the girl she told her she says yeah I don't know where you're coming from or what you're running from she says, I don't care 
but you've got a shitty dye job and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. You ain't calling the cops. Yeah. And then, you know, now we did talk about how I feel like if you have a fanny pack on like that that has that much money in it, just one little jump up and down because you got a hole in one, your fanny pack's not just going to go flying off. Number two, the dude is not going to know that it's full of money because it's not. Right. I, just say it's pads yeah, and walk off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she could have said, he, he, that's a lot of money. All she had to say was, yeah, it's tampons. I'm on my period. Yeah. I mean, good enough, right? I, anyway. Yeah, and I think it's too, it's it's so funny because I think it's a great little character um, bit too when she jumps because it's like she's actually done something on her own and she's that excited. You see that you see that when she she quote unquote wins when she's been after she's been watching the uh, the Nancy Grace character show there with the the other girl when she spits in her Mountain Dew mm-hmm. because. She, she basically insulted her, talking about the rich bitch white woman, blah, yep. blah, 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 blah. She walks away and she spits in her coat because she's impulsively like, take that. Right. Um, but as she's walking back to her, her cabin, she's kind of skipping and jumping up and down. So it's, she's, those childlike, immature kind of impulsive qualities in, in into the character is, was a great touch. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I buy it. All right. All right. Do you want to talk about Medea? <laughs> um, <laughs> he was the most likable character, I think, in this whole thing. Only because he was. he was, he's the one you could feel like he's being honest. Like, I don't think, you don't really ascribe that he to was, a lawyer character in the movie. But because you see him in his dealings with his clients, he's pretty straightforward. He was a lawyer to a T. Yeah. I mean, he was playing the game, but he was also playing the game because he was being paid to play the game. But he was very straightforward and very honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I don't I don't know Tyler Perry for much. I yeah. mean, I, all I know is that he's a, the most successful American playwright in history, which I, I, that says something. But um, I mean, I'm going to call him Medea because that's what I know him <laughs> as, and I think it's funny. Um, he was really good. He was re- he was really good in the movie. Um, he said that if he'd have known. That this was a book that was as had the following that it did, um, and and that David Fincher was the way he was, he would not have done this movie. Oh no, he would. He, he said would. that he would. He and he wasn't even upset. From what I read about the way David Fincher films it, he said it, that this this book is. He says it's 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 so, so beloved that if you don't do exactly what they think it is, they hate you. He, but you know he I mean? went ahead and did Alex Cross. Well. What's Alex Cross? <laughs> You're up against Morgan Freeman, my friend. Yeah, well, yeah, same, whatever. Well, the way that Fincher does things, too, is I think they said that on average, each scene in this movie was 50 takes. Would you like to take a guess at how many hours of recorded film they have for this movie? They sh- Mind you, they shot for 100 days. How many hours of recorded film do you think they have? 800. 500 hours of film they recorded in this movie. That is ridiculous. They said that's an average of five hours a day of, of actual recording. Now, yeah, there's a lot of time spent on movie sets, but it's typically right. set up, get me a light, you know, get him. Give me a like. Give, what's the light? Okay, I want you over here. Let's run through it a couple times. Record it. They, they said there were some scenes. You said that they had filmed over fifty times in yeah. this movie. And heaven help you if you eat. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
That's how you gain the 13 pounds that you have to gain for this movie. I don't know how many times they filmed the shower scene, but they could have showed me a little more Rosamund and a little less Ben. <laughs> well, at least you know that you're not getting like the the only take that they could get with that. And when Rosamund Pike was asked about his process, and of course, she, I'm sure she put a friendly little spin on it because she was sitting right there next to David Fincher. And she said, at least, she's like, when you're an actor and you're doing a scene, there is always a bit of walking away from a day's filming and going, oh, I really should have tried that. Got her. I really. And she said, and, and you may walk away from the Fincher process feeling like you could have done something better but you know for a fact that at least you tried everything that you could possibly think of to try right okay we've covered the characters we have i want to get down to the meat of what upset me about this movie so much go for it okay the last 30 minutes they needed to have her get away Mm -hmm. and prove that Something had happened so that she could get back to Nick. Right. So that she could get her claws in him and keep him. Right. So they set it up so that she calls Desi. Blah, 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 blah. She kills Desi. Blames the whole thing. Pins the whole thing on Desi. Okay. So. I'm just going to start from the beginning from things that any good cop would have known and, and, and done. Okay. So at the beginning of the movie, the first thing that happens at the beginning of the movie is you see him get up, he gets in his car, he drives away, then you see him go to the bar. The mm-hmm. phone rings and and uh, Go, that's her name, right? Go. Yep. Says, your nosy neighbor. So we get the we get the impression that this guy calls the bar all the time about stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So he runs home, he drives home, and the door's open and the cat's there. Okay. Not once did they ever ask the neighbor, did you see anything? Apparently, this guy watches all the time. He never saw a car pull up. He never saw anybody drive out. He never saw anybody get dragged out of the house. He never heard any commotion. But this guy's the nosiest neighbor in history. We mentioned they dragged the woman out of the house, but there's no blood anywhere except one spot in the kitchen. The cops know something's wrong because she stomps on the floor and the, and the, the things fall down. She knows it's something's going on now. Yeah, but she just chalked it up for, to him not setting that up right. I, I, I understand. But right. she knows that there's, there's foul, mm-hmm. foul, foul play afoot. <laughs> there's there's $117,000 worth of stuff on a credit card that has not been paid. 177 And all this stuff gets put into Go's woodshed without her ever knowing, nobody ever seeing it, nobody ever questioning it. And the only way that it happens is Nick finds it eventually through the, the scavenger hunt. Right. So they have no way of knowing. You're telling me they have no way of knowing where this was purchased, what the IP address, where it was purchased from. Uh, there's, there's a credit card. There's, that's, that can be traced. Uh, when, she is, um, when she calls Desi from the casino, you're telling me there's no phone record at all? of anything anywhere in his phone records that they could find out that there was a call from a casino. There was a guy at the casino that saw them there together. If he had actually kidnapped her on the date in question, they would have known that that was not the case because she told them he had me tied up the whole time. Yeah, but they wouldn't be looking for that because they've already got 
what they felt is enough evidence to do it. Also, she probably could have called him for 30 seconds. You can't really trace a call. It's a cell phone. You're going to have call logs. Yeah. Every every phone you get on your cell phone is on your bill. But there's nothing saying that it, that was her that made the phone call, right? You're just getting a call from a, a payphone. So he, he, he leaves from a payphone when he has a woman tied up in his house, and he goes, that, that doesn't sound, from, from a casino, that doesn't sound... I, that I doesn't, don't. That does to me. I don't okay. know. I don't think they got to the point where they're that's, even looking at that yet. But but they don't. You said they don't. Well, they're not looking because they have all the evidence. They don't have any evidence. They have her saying he kidnapped me. That's it. That's that's it. They did a complete forensic sweep of that house, mm-hmm. and they found nothing except her blood in the kitchen. They found no dirt from a different area. They found no fibers from a suit that Nick right. doesn't own. They found no hair. The guy was never in the no, house. No fingerprints. No. They have no proof. that. So they admit that the blood was cleaned up sloppily because she said she did it on purpose to make it look like it was hasty, yeah. but there's no fingerprints or anything throughout the rest of the house. Uh, she never would have been brought into the hospital and taken out in the span of 15 minutes. And yes, 15 minutes is an exaggeration, but she would have been there significantly longer. She would have been in there for testing. She'd have been there overnight. And they never would have questioned her the way they questioned her in that room with that many people, with them admitting that she was all hopped up on Mm painkillers. And they would have not, and they never would have dismissed the other investigating. There's, there's, There's just too many holes. And you know what? Maybe all of those don't work, but one of those works. That there's no way that that story he came and he took me is airtight enough that if they wanted to find out something they would they would have found it out and that that is what took me out of the movie. Okay, well, I mean, again, this is not that kind of movie, and it isn't as I mean the the closest thing I can think of that this movie of reminds me of is To Die For. Have you seen that movie with Nicole Kidman? Yes, that's supposed to be like the Pamela Smart. Take off now. That is very stylized and satirical as well. Yes. Um, and I, I think at the end you've got spoiler alert. Um, the fact that her parents, because nothing happened from from legal means with her, she got, kind of got away with it. That they ha- basically had her killed because um, she's frozen under the lake. Um, I I I it doesn't necessarily bother me yes i i agree with you there are certain things that just would raise questions and i know in the book too there's a little glimmer of hope as well because you have desi's mother in the book raising a stink saying you know insisting that her son was murdered right Right. that this was not what happened and i'm sure had somebody raised that or you get lawyers involved or you you know, I'm not quite sure how how that would run in terms of an investigation, but you've got some hope there that that, that there's some vindication on you know, on the part of Desi or Desi's family. That was the other thing too, the surveillance tapes at his lake house. There was they showed in the movie six seconds of her acting like she was up against the window where she was getting, you know, uh, beat or whatever. Mm. And yeah, you talk, you, you talked about the, how she bit his lip to make it look like, you know, there had been, but that was there like, there'd been a struggle and she yeah, fought back. Or, yeah. But yeah. that was like two minutes. What about all the video of with them sitting there watching the TV when she stole his dessert? 
You know, I mean, there's the, she said, he took me, and I've been tied up. Even Ben Affleck said to the cop, if she's been tied up for five weeks, where'd she get a box cutter? Right, or why is she still in... Because, I mean, obviously, yeah. she'd been working out to lose weight, so she's in good shape, nothing atrophied. Um, right. If she's, you know, tied up, you know, how does... How did he? How did her hair get cut so well? You know those types of things are 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 definitely there. I don't. She had on nice lingerie that was. My biggest problem with is you say you keep saying that that's not the type of movie this was, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. If that's not the type of movie it is, then don't spend the first hour and a half setting up how you're going to go about making the perfect crime. Put a little less effort into how I'm going to make the perfect crime and set up the characters a little bit more, because you can't. You don't make the perfect crime and then just freewheel it at the end, and that's that's why it ruined it. If she hadn't have said, "I spent all this time researching because you got to do this," and that that right there showed that she's supposed to know what she's doing, and that that's the rules you're playing by, and then you change the rules at the end where cops just got stupid all of a sudden. Yeah, I it just it doesn't bother me because the dynamic and the characters and it's. It's fascinating. I think maybe if you watch it over and over again, no, it would get to a point, but <laughs> where that might might come into play. But I think that there's a lot to kind of look into this movie. Like I said, this time around for me, it was it was some of the humor that I missed before, like you mentioned when she's watching the when she's watching Nick's interview and she reaches over and she takes Desi's dessert. Because she's so used to eating, and Desi, the look that Neil Patrick Harris gives her is freaking hysterical. I thought he was going to pimp slap her. <laughs> I, I really did. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> you know, it was more like, why are you? T- I I couldn't tell if it was more like, why are you taking that without asking if it's okay, and why are you eating that? Because he doesn't want her to, yeah, to he gain get, any to more weight. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I I I can appreciate those little, like you said, the hair flip, the. The, the dessert but i don't know that when i'm watching that type of movie that's what i want i i don't i don't know i, I mean if you're gonna if uh, you know what i mean that's uh, that's just me uh, i guess i it's a fine line that i think as he said that he was trying to to do he was trying to add those satirical elements and get to a point of satire without it being a parody or a spoof or mm-hmm. so and a lot of the things are absurd the way that that things are done, but that yes, there are, there are traces of, of realism to it, and I think we bring our expectations to it, like he says in that, because we know we know Scott Peterson, you know, we know Susan Smith, we know all these crimes that we watched play out. K- Casey Anthony for us here in Florida, mm-hmm. right? We've watched these things play out. We've seen. You know, we've seen Nancy Grace trash these people. We've seen how they've tried to play this media circus. So we're making assumptions about this film from the beginning, and then it keeps changing on us. So it it, it is it, it's kind of mimicking the power struggle in that relationship. So I I don't have as much of an issue with it as as you do. Apparently, can you appreciate the mil- the movie? That's I, the question. I told you it was a good movie. I just that takes me out of it. That doesn't. It just kind of ruins it for me. Is it was a it was a very good movie, and mm-hmm. it was even good at the end. Until I started thinking about it, 
for a day and a half. And I was so like, you, you no. just need to stop thinking about it. There you I'm go. I'm not going to stop thinking <laughs> about it. Absolutely not. <laughs> Solved. World Absolutely hunger not. solved. If I if if I have to stop thinking about this and just enjoy it, then you have to stop thinking about Suicide Squad and just enjoy it. Ah, yeah, there you there's go. There the it is. Rub. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I um, get it. I understand. Oh, uh, David Fincher for just a minute. Okay. Because this blew my this blew my fucking mind. Mind blown. What's David Fincher known for? Seven. Right. Fight Club. Right. Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Panic Room. Yeah. Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yarp. You know uh, where House of Cards. How he did some House of Cards. Do you know where he got his start? Do you know what Music really... Music videos? Yes. Yeah, because I told you. Of course you know. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't remember that you told me, but I remember the answer. Um, Crazy. He's got 96 directors, 94 directors credits on IMDb. And I'll bet you 85 of them are music videos. And it's not little people music videos. Um <laughs> and when I say that I don't mean I don't mean midgets <laughs> singing music. Um Rick Springfield's State of the Heart. He did the American Cancer Society video of the, the smoking fetus. Do you remember that commercial? Yeah, I do. Back in the 80s, he did that. Uh, the Motels, Shame, uh, Rick Springfield, Celebrate Luke Youth, Christopher Cross, The Outfield, All the Love in the World, Jermaine Stewart, We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off, uh, let's see, um, Eddie Money, Patty Smythe, The Hooters, Mark Knopfler, Loverboys, Loverboy, The Outfield, Martha Davis, Patrick Swayze's video, Foreigner, Sting, Johnny Hates Jazz, Jody Watley, Steve Winwood, Paula Abdul, just the list, Don Henley, uh, it just Madonna. Madonna, Madonna, Aerosmith, Jamie, Jamie's got a gun. I was Billy Idol, Cradle of Love. Uh, this, I, I don't know why it. Yeah, he did do Alien Three. You know what? Fuck you, David. <laughs> <laughs> this really <laughs> surprised me that a guy that has done these types of movies. It took him eighty-five to. Well, his first movie was was Alien Three. So it, well, it's not like he hit. So he's not like he hit a home run out of right out of the gate. Um, it took that long for a guy with this kind of talent directing music videos. Really, something that stopped being. Well, I guess early '90s they were still pretty big. But okay, yeah, I I can kind of see that though because it does reflect in his work. I mean, most of his like Fight Club and Seven are very. You know, we had that conversation in our Ford Fairlane episode about modern day noir, and I guess he's probably as close as you're going to get to it. I mean, in fact, right. Um, in doing my research for this, a lot of people were calling this domestic noir, and as as part of it too. So um, this is the m movie I think with the least amount of darkness in it that I've seen him him do. Um, I haven't seen Benjamin Button. I haven't seen Zodiac, but I'm assuming that that's pretty Alien, dark. Alien Three was his first one. Seven was his second. The Game was his third one. Oh, is that the one with Michael Douglas? Yeah. That was a wonderful piece of claptrap that never made me want to retch. I just, that's just something for, for someone. I wonder if that's where he gets his multiple takes from, from having to get all the different angles from a band playing, or I, I don't know. Just, I, it just kind of really surprised me that 
because it's not it's not i mean he was I do, he was even doing them in um 2005 he did a nine inch nails video uh, he did a perfect circle video in 2000. Just really surprises me. Really does. I think what I've heard from Fincher's point of view is he knows when actors prep for a scene that they they've put a lot in into it, and they're practiced and they're practiced and they're practiced. Mm-hmm. He wants to get that out of them, so the later takes are a little bit more organic and spent and they've, they've kind of worked through that whole process that's why he does so many takes gotcha. i also maybe it's a it's because kubrick did that a lot too yeah i mean to the point where he drove his actors crazy yeah well apparently fincher does the same thing yeah um uh, he did a video in 2011 from karen o who i have no idea that is trent Reznor, who is the front man for nine inch nails right. and atticus ross who i don't know who that is uh the immigrant song uh, I got to look this up because if this is actually a remake of Led Zeppelin, that would be cool. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the music for Gone Girl, 2014. Mm-hmm. Oh, he did a, he did Jay Z and Justin Timberlake. So there you go. Let's talk about Ben Affleck shutting down production for four days. <laughs> now I, being from Massachusetts, would understand not wanting to wear a Yankee cap, but. That's intense, man. Well, that's but but look how easy it was fixed, and it could have just been fixed four days later, it, four days earlier. I'm not wearing a Mets cap or a Je- or a, a Yankees cap. Will you wear a Mets cap? All right. <laughs> I mean, you could have made it the Giants. You could have made it, the, the, you know, the the new the New Jersey Nets. There's like 12 teams in that area. <laughs> you could have picked one of any of them, and you're like, no, you. So the story is. In the scene where he's in the airport, where he starts to get noticed, well, he doesn't want to be noticed. Right. The shit's going off on when he's going back and forth to see Medea. Right. And the TV's up, and uh, they, they, they got the coverage. He puts on a hat yep. to cover himself, uh, his face up. David uh, Fincher wanted him to wear a Yankees cap. Well, Ben Affleck is from Boston. He said, I'm not wearing a Yankees cap. And for four days, there was no production done because Ben Affleck said, I'm not wearing a Yankees cap. And told him, I will do anything for you, David. I love you, but I am not going to wear a Yankees cap. <laughs> then they played Meatloaf for about six hours. And <laughs> then he, the venture said, why don't you just wear a Mets cap? I feel like somebody on set could have said that shit. A yeah, hell of a, a lot Brewer's sooner. cap. Uh, anything. Um, well, not Bruce. M- Missouri's, Missouri doesn't Kansas, have a team, right? Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Okay, there you Kansas go. Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Royals. I, I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, New York. Alone, I love New York. <laughs> New York. New York alone. You have the you have the New York Knicks. You have the New Jersey Nets. You have the New York Giants. You have the New York Jets. You have the New York Mets. Um, All of them acceptable. Well, not not <laughs> not disagreeing with you. You got you could have had a Syracuse hat. You could have had uh, you could have had a bo- uh, not Boston College, New duh. York University. You, in, yeah, anything you, NYU could have had anything, and you're like, no, it's going to be a goddamn Yankees hat. <laughs> All right, Dave. <laughs> So when I do You're that, you messing I, with my vision. Tell you what, Dave, I'll wear that Yankees cap, but I'm only going to wear it in one of the scenes. You better <laughs> hope it's the scene you pick of the 89 times we film this. Well, there's a, there's a there's a um, a story too that that the Carrie Coon was in that scene with Tyler Perry and and Ben Affleck when they're talking about his defense, and she's sitting in between them, and she's you see her and just eat. Uh, French fry. 
They said she probably ate about five pounds of fries in the process of that whole thing. I would. Take so you need to be careful when you're eating in a Fincher film. I would take that bullet for the team. <laughs> I would take that bullet. The way I love French fries, I'm all in. Wouldn't it be great if somebody could parody, parody that, and as you continue, the scene continues, the person just gets It'd bigger. It'd be like the scene bigger. from Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. You're just watching the guy. But expand. sir, it's wafer thin. Yeah, it's oh, thin. R.I.P. Terry Jones. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, let's do box office real quick. All right. This movie. I'm gonna have to think about this real quick. Probably, yep. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with it. This movie has probably made more money than any movie we've done, because this movie made a fucking ton. This was the number 17 movie of 2014 domestically, made 167.76 million dollars. But globally, this movie made over 400 million dollars. It is David Fincher's biggest movie to date. It was, however, beaten out by some movies that. Probably wouldn't expect to be beaten out by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Seriously, is that the first one or the second? Oh no, one? that's the first the reboot. Secret of the Ooze. That's the one with Megan Fox. The reboot. No, that's uh. not. That's not the secret. The Secret of the Ooze is like 1992, huh? Oh, sorry. Yeah, this was the first <laughs> of the new ones. Um, uh, Maleficent. Oof. Really? Uh, all right. That beat that in the box office. Twenty-two Jump Street. Beat this in the box office. Oh, oh, Maleficent Lord. was a monster. It made two hundred forty-one million domestically. <sighs> Biggest movie of the year was Guardians of the Galaxy, three hundred thirty-two million. Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part One, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, the Lego Movie, Transformers: Age of Extinction. There's a couple of st- X Men: Days of Future Past. Probably the only X Men movie that was really worth watching. I liked it, but um, I think there would not be as maybe wide appeal an audience for this movie. Uh, yeah, so which explains a well lot. That, but that—that's the thing is that's what impresses me about it, and that's what tells me that this was a good movie. It made 166 million dollars. It made 37.5 on its opening weekend. Now, it was released October 3rd of 2014. That's not a big time movie weekend. That really isn't, especially for a non-horror movie. Now, I can get the thriller. I can get a thriller genre vibe from this, mm-hmm. but thirty-seven million on an opening weekend for a movie like this, there was a lot of there must have been a lot of good word of mouth about it ahead of time. I don't know. Uh, budget was sixty-one million dollars. Excuse me. Worldwide, it made three hundred and sixty-nine million, so not quite four hundred million, but still. I mean, that's that's impressive for a movie of this type. Yeah, more than brain candy. Oh, come on now. It did, <laughs> listen, we're here to give our we listeners facts. And there's no... no yeah, yeah. Brain ca- well, we, we, we covered that brain candy was a fucking bomb. Yeah. All right. So well, it's, nice to, it's nice to do a non-bomb now and again. Yeah. I mean, there, there are things about this movie that I really liked. There are things about this movie that I really disliked. I am not going to say it's not a good movie because of the things that I didn't like, I, I'm going to say that they were mistakes made in the movie. They really upset me about how they took the procedural part and just threw it away to get to the satire. If that's what he did, that's what he did. That's fine. It's his movie. He made a shit ton of money. He obviously did something right. Yeah, I'd like to read the book and at least try to see if there's... Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. Uh, no, I'd like to read the book and, and see if there's any discernible difference. I haven't heard that 
there's a huge difference between how it is handled in the back. And I know Desi dies in a much different way. Um, he's poisoned as well. But as far as, you know, what you're perceiving as these procedural plot holes, maybe doesn't, maybe doesn't weigh in as heavily in the book, in the movie. I know that they had to cut a lot of stuff out of the book to simplify the story. How, however, I know that, that Gillian Flynn also had some success with the HBO series that was done for Sharp Objects. And again, that's kind of a something's going down, who done it kind of a thing. And it was right. handled more realistically. I, I don't know who directed that. Well, you probably had a lot more time. You know what I mean? I know yeah, a lot of time to build it out because yeah. it was a thing. And Amy Adams, I, I need to see this because I hear Amy Adams is phenomenal in this and she's not, you know, she's just a wholly under, un, underrated actor. I think she, it's about time she gets more. Yeah. Do you have questions? No, I don't. Um, simply because the story is just so wackadoodle crazy in some points that um, it's it's difficult for me to to really point out anything. Um, I want to say that I guess the person that I probably identified most with in the movie was the cat, but other than that, good enough. Um, I have one not question. A lot of questions. I have one question. She announces to him at the end that she's pregnant. Yes. And she got pregnant by taking his semen. Yes. That had been stored for some reason. Uh, fertility testing. Fertility testing that had been for uh, some reason. And she, without his permission, apparently, had gotten the sample. And right. she artificially inseminated herself. And she's like, you can never prove that I didn't. She basically kind of says that. She, she she dares him to say, you know, that we're I'm not, not the father. Is that what? No, not no, oh. no, because because she he knows he knows when he sees the test what she did. She okay. took his semen that was stored and artificially inseminated himself herself. Okay. So is he saying that you t you took it without my permission? Is that what we're getting at? That no. Oh. All he would have to do to say that we're not who you think we are is get the record of the doctor that artificially inseminated her. Right. Or the fact that she went down and picked up the sperm because they didn't keep it in their own freezer. We don't know that. I mean, I would hope she didn't, because that'd really suck if you messed that up for a fucking thing of Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> Monday, yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, and I did, I did find something out. Um, uh, the ice cream that he takes out of the freezer when he eats it, when he remember he gets easy and I said, oh, they're gonna call it dryers, because I was like, thought they were making fun of briars. Yeah. Apparently, dryers is an actual ice cream. Uh, but it's marketed under two different names in different parts of the country. It is not marketed as dryers in Missouri. It's Edie's. Oh, yeah. yeah I remember Edie's. Yeah, you can still get Edie's. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I, I do have that, that you probably add to your list of sins that you were reading before, too, and, and we've, we've talked about this before. If she goes to the doctor and does a urine test for pregnancy, most people who have had pregnancies will will attest to this they would not let her leave without doing a blood test as well right um because the i've i've heard different people say well you know she's for the th further along in the pregnancy if she uses her urine test well no the urine test simply says there is presence like enzymes of, or something of, yes of the hormone Hormones. of the pregnancy hormone in your urine the blood test is will the definitive. tell will tell them exactly how much of the hormone is in your system 
um, that you know that happened when we had the miscarriages. They took the blood when I was originally uh, confirmed as pregnant, and then afterwards they take the blood to see right. where you are. So that would have been a big thing that showed up the medical record and, too. And, so and, there's and, that's yeah. another hole. So it, it would have been a a positive urine test right. and a negative blood test, and the blood test is the one that says you're not pregnant. Right. Yeah. The blood right. test would not have shown any right. any sign of yeah. So see something that minor yeah. I can let slide. Well, because it's not common knowledge it's, to like right. half the audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but an FBI agent going, she's been through enough. We don't need to look into this anymore. Well, if that's the case, I'll just go run around a house for fucking forty five yeah. minutes, rob a bank, and go. But, I'm really tired, officer. But you also, I mean, other than, yeah, you can you can I guess blame an FBI officer for missing the red flags, I guess, but you cannot assume that any law officer is going to jump to the most extreme case. Like we said, you know, you can't jump to the zebra without first, you know, trying to to figure out if it's a horse. I un- I understand you that. Know? I just I just feel like they would have done more than no, we 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 yeah. would be ma'am, have a nice day. Yeah, and like I said, and, I, and I'll, I'll let it go at this point. Yeah. What were your three favorite parts? Well, it's hard with a favorite, right? Because yeah. this kind of movie is, you, you don't want to say something for... Yeah, agreed. <laughs> she liked that. She she did a, she's, she's just as messed up as, as Amy. I like the scene, obviously, um, when she's doing the whole monologue of the cool girl and all that, just because you see her really just digging into, you know, you've got the, the Kit Kat bar and the and the burger and all that stuff like that. She's just really letting go of everything that she's been trying to be, uh-huh. right? And she's going to find out what it's like to be, you know, not be a size two right. for a while and, and that. I, and I just think it's just done really well. It sets her up as the villain of the story particularly well, Um you know, we've had the conversation as, you know, she's not necessarily likable. I don't think a lot of people like her as, oh, God, I like Amy Dunn. But there's got to be some quality to a villain that makes you want to watch them. And that scene just does set that in motion very well. well. You, you actually kind of root for her for the middle part of the movie. Right. You really do. Because you're like, okay, <laughs> I get yeah, it. Yeah, you get it, girl. Yeah, because I, yeah. I get it, you know, because he you know, he cheated on you and he treated you like crap. Okay, I get you. And then you start seeing all the stuff and you're like, wait a minute, maybe you're not as nice as I thought. Yeah. And and the book actually goes a little bit deeper, too, because there's another person she screws over um, in the book, which is from her middle school years or something like that. She She sets it up so it looks like this girl is kind of doing a single white female on her and Amy throws herself down the stairs and blames her and says she pushed me and all that. Nice. So yeah, she's definitely you you realize very See, I mean there's like 37 red flags that you've got. So much wrong, right, going on. Um and all the lies that she tells cuz she's a compulsive liar. Yeah. Um second part the look that MPH gives her when she, when when she takes his pudding or whatever it is that that she's eating that yeah that was that good. was a nice subtle scene um, that made me laugh which nothing really made me laugh the first time I watched this right um, I always have the trouble with the third one don't I yeah that's why you gotta start writing them down yeah 
I gotta anticipate them. I I didn't expect we, us to do like the the top three because this well, was then, a loop. Then just was do so. the two. That's okay. fine. You know, I mean, I oh, you know what? No, you have to do the three. Uh, Spotify just said that if we don't actually do the three, they're not going to carry our podcast. Oh no! All right, fantastic. Um, I don't really have a favorite moment in this movie. I, I thought I thought it was like I said. I thought it was a very good movie, but there was nothing that stood out that really made me laugh. Oh, or yeah. really upset me or anything like that. The part that you did laugh is when Go catches Nick with the girlfriend the next morning and she says something about that better be some fantastic twat or so I, something like that. You uh, laughed really loud. <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah, she was. You know what? I, I'm going to say it. She might be my favorite character of the movie. Really? I, 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 she was the only one that was like a good person. You know, the, the Medea was honest. Yeah. I mean, he was truthful, but he was a lawyer. I mean, he he was going to do he whatever he money, had to yeah. do to get him acquitted, even if he was guilty. That's not a good person to me. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I'll, I'll say she's my favorite part. I have four, um, things that I, I that were my least favorite. Do you want to go first, or can I go? Do you want me to go first? Uh, you well, go first. Before you go into least favorite, we no. go into least favorite. The the one part that I did like. Oh, no, 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 You already passed up your number no. three spot. <laughs> come on. Go ahead. Uh, the one detail that I did like is, and it just kind of sets up at how good uh, the the Tyler Perry, Perry character was at his job is when he's pushing the the press back at the hospital and he says something about the miracle on the Mississippi. And then in future scenes, that's what you hear on the TV. It's just like, God, he's such a good spin. Yeah. Yeah. That he he was really good in it. I would be more than willing to give him a shot as an actor. I would even be willing to give a Medea movie a try just because I think she's funny. But he I, I I think that in that movie he showed that he's got the ability to act well. Yeah. Let's ask Colby first so he can because I don't think he liked the last couple of Tyler Fair Perry enough. movies. Fair enough. No, well, I wouldn't want to watch like the one with the the woman who I, I can't remember. Okay, so my fourth my fourth least favorite part was the ending. Okay. I didn't like the ending. Doesn't mean it wasn't good. Just didn't like it. I, I don't like it when that I, 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 I want some resolution. You know what I mean? Not that not whether he wins or she wins, I would just like to go out of the movie going, okay, that's that's where it ends. Because now I'm waiting for Gone Girl too, where it's four and a half hours of them in a house just sitting across the coffee table, <laughs> looking at each, each other, other <laughs> looking at each other. They each have a cup of coffee, but before they each take a cup of coffee, they have the royal taster test a coffee to make sure that neither <laughs> one of them's getting poisoned. And they've got a two year old running through the house with with a shitty diaper on because nobody wants to be a parent because it was a save the baby marriage or save the marriage baby. And he's just knocking shit off of tables. And then the cat emulates him and he's knocking shit off of shelves. That's gone girl, too. Uh, Fantastic Freddy. That's the next book series. Hell yeah. Uh, One of my least favorite things of this movie was really not being able to like any of the main characters. Really? I don't like not being able to root for somebody. You know what I mean? It, it, I get it. it. It was well done, but I'm just sitting here going, oh, I, I, uh, nope, I can't root for him. He's a piece of shit. He's a cheater. Oh, nope, 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 nope. Can't root for her. She's framed for murder. Just, you know, I want a divorce. Let's move on. Um, the second thing I hated the least, or I liked the least, or hated the most, was um, I don't ever need to see Neil Patrick Harris's or Ben... Ben Affleck's dicks again, ever. 
I know. I know it was nice for the ladies and the guys, it's maybe. Y- to be honest with I'm you, kidding. It was. It was so subtle. It was just. Yeah, just a it joke. doesn't. It was yeah. just a joke. Yeah. Uh, the mo- thing I hated the most was I hated the last thirty minutes. Yeah. And and I didn't when I was watching it. Right. I didn't when I was watching it. Uh, other than, other than that, I, again, me saying those are the things I hate. That's like you know which kid do you, which which of your kids do you like the least? Well, it's Carl. I still love him, but I love him less than the others. I, I don't know. I I I probably would have had a de- very definitive list on my first watch. My second watch, not so much. I think, you know, there are definitely scenes that y- you cringe a little bit more when you see them. I think what I don't, if I had to pick something that I don't like about this movie is Amy. And I think with Rosamund Pike playing her, it, it, it makes sense. It is Amy's movie. Um, and you don't get equal complexity and weight. I feel for Nick, right? Because I think anything, I I think, I think Fincher, because even this was before he uh, Ben Ben Affleck was found out to have the affair um, with Jennifer Garner. It was like the next year that they were getting a divorce. But he does have some kind of air of womanizing and being difficult and and all that with him. So it's kind of a shorthand for Fincher for for Affleck being in there just because of that vibe. You you know he gives off that fratty yeah. fratty boy vibe. Yeah. Um. So I think that if they had had, you know, obviously you couldn't be in his head because I don't think you need that much of the Ben Affleck voiceover in it. I think they had just the right amount at the beginning and the end. But I don't know. I just think you probably would have hated him more than you did Amy. Well, it ha- it's definitely. I her just kind of felt Nick was a little more whitewashed. It's definitely you know, her movie. More of the protagonist. That's why it's called Gone Girl and not yeah. He Did It. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just kind of felt like they they definitely made Nick more the protagonist when, in all honesty, they're both. Well, you had to because they're he was, both anti heroes. He, he was this, just a know? douchebag. He wasn't crazy. No, crazy's, I, crazy's not the right word. I don't know if he's crazy. I mean, I, he had his own set of problems and could have probably dealt with a therapist. And, yeah, but, you was, know, but wasn't, you know... He didn't have a personality. He was just going to well, say... Well, he may have had a personality disorder. I'm sorry. He was just going to say, I want a divorce. I'm cheating on you. I want a divorce. He wasn't going to try and frame her for murder and kill himself. No, no, no. Yeah. He wasn't taking it to that extreme, but... Um, uh, David Fincher was supposed to have directed 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And it got canceled. Okay. And they asked him to do this. Ben Affleck was supposed to direct We Live the Night, Live the Night, the one that was filmed about Ybor City here in Tampa where he was like the drug cartel boss back that in didn't the 1800s. Get made? I thought that got made. That, that got made. He pushed it back to be in this movie. Oh, okay. I think that's it. I think that's all the trivia that I got. I ran out. I'm Dumb. all out. You I'm know the girlfriend. Done. You know who the girlfriend was, right? I will remember when you tell me. Okay, I'm, I, I can't think of her name. Yeah, it's not important. She's only. But she was. She was the, the model in Blurred Lines, the naked girl. That's right. And, and David, she's only. They, yeah. And Ben Affleck, insisted, to Fincher, or suggested strongly to Fincher that 
they use her for yeah. that role. And then Fincher, then Fincher watched the the watched it, and she's in it like just momentarily, and he's like, "Yeah, I like what she's got." Yeah, not in a sexual way, just meaning, yeah, she'd be she'd be right for the part for the part. Can you imagine being an actor going, "Okay, I'm going to tell you which actress I want to see her boobies." <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's Ben Affleck for well, you. Yeah. Ben Affleck, yeah, no, no sweat. Okay, so um, I guess we're winding down. So I guess I only have one question to ask. What's that? What are you gonna make me watch next? No, you were gonna ask me if I was if I would watch this again. <gasps> I always forget that question. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. Okay. Would you watch this again? No. 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 Definitely not. Probably not. Even uh, if I lured you with ice cream cake, you wouldn't. Mm. A whole ice cream cake? Per- we perhaps. Will, we will discuss it. A giant Kit Kat bar, a burger, and a thing of fries? No, because... Some Mountain Dew. I swear I didn't spit in it. No. Uh, no. No. <laughs> now, if you spit in it, then we can discuss it. I just... I've seen it. I'm good. Okay. You, you know what I mean? I, I appreciate it. If we went over to someone's house and they're like, hey, let's watch Gone Girl, I would, I would not say no, but I'd be like, do you have anything else? Like, I don't know, the super? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it just, no. I, I wouldn't even put it on as background noise, to be honest with you. Okay. If you wanted to watch it again and you told me I had to sit down and watch it with you and there's an ice cream cake there, we'll talk. Okay. But it just, I've, I've seen it. It was good. I appreciate it. Moving on. Okay. We have, um, you now you asked me the other question. Yes. So we'll, we'll go ahead and get to that. Yeah. Uh, I put the list together, right? And you randomly drew. I did a number beforehand. I don't know what I'm going to get. We are going to watch 2016. I think it's 2016's what we what we do in the shadows. (gasps) Yeah. Um. I have not seen this yet. This is right up my alley. So we're breaking the rules a little bit. Yeah. Uh, But. I kind of want to see the FX show. Me too. I've heard it's pretty good. Yeah. And I've also heard that this movie is really good. And I did a little bit of research on it, and it sounds like something that we should watch. Um, because Fake documentary. Well, you know what? Documentary. I'm trying to find something for you that's not that's kind of out of my realm. You know what I mean? Uh, that I'm going to pick for you. I mean, you you know some of the movies on my list that I that I have for you. So we'll save those. Because I know that we have a special guest that we're going to be watching. We actually have two special guests coming up with movies that we're going to be watching, and yeah. I'm super excited about watching one of them. I'm kidding. I, I want to say I, I want to. Are see we going to announce this yet? Or no? Oh, okay. Uh, no, not until. But we're going to keep is, you in suspense yeah, for is, one more episode, people. This, this well, if you want, fuck it, announce it if you want to announce it. Oh, okay. Well, um, we are. I, I thought you wanted me to not announce it. That was your nice way of saying if you say that, there will be no ice cream. Oh cake no. For you. <laughs> There's no ice cream cake anyway. I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> Maybe next week. What kind of a <laughs> sick bitch takes the ice cream trays out of the freezer? <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, we do have a couple couple coming up. Um, uh, we haven't got a, a, a guaranteed date yet for our friend Sarah, but she is going to, um, for her birthday, have a, a viewing at her house of, uh, I don't know what year this movie came out. 2018, I think. 2018's Pastor. So. What the fuck? Yeah. So I'm in. I, I, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we have uh, Joe and Amy 
from one movie punch. Um, we have uh, scheduled and we are about to confirm tonight um, that uh, they are going to discuss with us uh, one cut of the dead. So I'm looking forward to that as well. All right. So cool. Cool. And I'm all, I'm I'm excited about what what we do in the shadows. I mean, okay. that ticks off all the marks. You know I love documentary now, so you know I like mockumentaries. We got some New Zealanders in the mix. I did not know it was a mockumentary when I picked it and put it on my list. I thought it was just a comedy. Yeah. And and an offbeat yep. comedy. Now, and vampires. I mean, I, what wow. I'm going <laughs> I'm going to warn you. What? That the next movie that it, when it's my turn. Uh-oh. I will be picking, and we're going right back into my vein. Velocipaster 2? movies. No, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's not even funny to, say, to joke about. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> you realize Velocipaster's budget was $35,000, right? Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait. $35,000. <laughs> And it lists its filming locations as Manhattan and New York City about a guy who goes to, like, India and catches a disease to turn it. <laughs> this is going to be... Oh, this is Mystery Science Theater this, 3000. This is off, off the charts. It's got a 5.8 star rating out of 10 on IMDb. Ooh. That's better than, like, the super... <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> not much that it's not yeah. better than yeah. the super. <laughs> that that might that might not even be as good a brain as brain can. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so that's what we got coming, but um I already know what the next movie for you is gonna be, so we're we're gonna have a good time with that Alrighty one. Alrighty then. Um I guarantee you it will not be as depth there will not be as much depth and as many layers as Gone Girl. There is one layer in that movie. All right. Okay. This was a long one. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Um, and one, one, uh, one shout out I need to give is for, um, for, for RL Terry, um, who did also participate in the conversation, um, when we talked about the plot holes in Gone Girl. Um, let me see. So, to wrap up, this is the point where we say, um, please, please, please rate review us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you can rate us. Um, and the podcast we are just about anywhere you can find podcast and uh, make sure you follow us we are on twitter and instagram at honey watch this and we have a facebook page as well and if you want to connect with us personally i am t5ff underscore angel on twitter and at marketing underscore angel on instagram i am gbishop72 on twitter all right or at top five for fighting Oh, I got another top five for fighting well, plug in. But I don't. I I G Bishop seven two has two followers. Oh, top five for fighting oh, has give, more. Give Greg some love. No, Follow Greg. Him. Nobody likes Make me. Make him it's feel right. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great week.